Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. center field and deep at the track at the wall Duval has done it Atlanta takes the lead Goldschmidt high fly ball Soler he's there with the catch Carpenter tagging up throw comes back into the infield we've got a brand new game it's tied 4-4 swing and a line drive it is down a base hit one run is in Heredia streaking to third they're going to wave him and Atlanta gets two runs on a line drive to right that didn't stick in the glove of Dylan Carlson. Well, at multiple times in that game last night, T-Bone, we're thinking, up oh, here it is. Back in the win column. And then? And then your circle of trust man comes through and falls apart for the Cardinals. Which one? They're all in the circle Both of trust. Both of them, to be honest. Giovanni Gallegos, that's true. This is why we don't allow you into the circle of trust there. But look, Cardinals lose. We are going to break it all down today here on BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. And as you heard on the crossover with Danny Mack, we brought in someone much better. And that is Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. Katie, how are you? You know, I think much better is a stretch. Like I said, I think adequate is, is a good good descriptive word for me but you know happy to be here that's fine but i also feel like i needed to bring you in mostly for like an apology for the last time we had you on on monday when i was uh, referencing r.a dickey um that that conversation didn't go very well i thought it was a highlight personally um sometimes you know when you just like randomly think about something and it makes you laugh and like you're in public and you're just like (laughs) laughing in the middle of nowhere that was me all day on monday i just could not get it together of r.a dickey it's Uh, one of those things where you wonder how you get into radio because there's no like mental block between the brain and the mouth it just flows through there so it's dangerous it is very dangerous well also dangerous last night for the cardinals getting into that run capade with the atlanta braves braves now 54 and 54 cardinals drop a game below 500 let's start with the positives though katie let's not get negative nancy here on a thursday um i never do that but what's the positives but because bk's not out i have to R J A. I almost called him r.a dickey j hap or j a hap Pitched pretty well for the Cardinals last night. Now, look, much better than the John Lester outing went, unless you take away that first inning. But I was frankly surprised at how J.A. Happ approached that performance last night, the way he dealt, the way he was able to last long in the inning and kept the Cardinals in the game the entire night. Yeah, I think Happ went out there and did exactly what the Cardinals were hoping he was able to do. You know, they got Lester and they got Happ to pitch what is becoming the more standard model where your starters can go five innings, keep them in the ball game, and then, uh, you know, hopefully this bullpen can take <laughs> over. And, you know, it's it's 
frustrating because this bullpen has actually been very good over the last few weeks. Um, and Giovanni Gallegos has been tremendous all season long. He's been one of the one of the most consistent relievers, if not the most consistent reliever for this Cardinals team. Just clearly very on very early on showed that he just didn't have his command, was searching. This is, I think, the first time we've seen him really struggle like that mm-hmm. all year. So it was just really unfortunate, I think, for Gio that that was the night when he's been pretty lights out all year long. But but for Hap, you know, that's exactly the kind of model the Cardinals are looking for. Go five innings, one or two runs there, limit the walks, and hopefully the offense and the bullpen can can take over from there. And they just weren't able to do that yeah, last night. Yeah, I mean, that's why they acquired those guys, is to be able to go out and perform like that and be able to navigate through heavy waves and bad situations like John Lester had gone through. And look, Lester was in a bad situation to start from, kept the team in the game after that, only allowing one run through the next four innings. Innings, but I feel like it was different for Jay Happ last night because he had the offense before he even took the mound. Both guys are going to have jitters before they take the mound, regardless of how old you are. You are playing for the Cardinals, so it doesn't really matter if you've been in the league for 20 years or two years. But you could tell that the the nerves were taken away a little bit from Happ when he took the mound. And frankly, I mean, he was he was locked in. He was given strikes. He wasn't really throwing a lot of balls outside of the zone and he was pitching to contact exactly what you would have expected from a veteran pitcher like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talked to Hap and we talked to a couple guys. I, I talked to TJ McFarlane yesterday about this. Guys like Hap and, and Lester, if they can pitch to contact, they have the defense both infield and outfield that's going to make you successful as a pitcher. And we saw Hap utilize that. We've seen TJ McFarlane utilize that in his fortified bullpen role and I really just think it's a it's a different game with these pitchers as they're kind of struggling to reinvent themselves this season to have the defense that they do behind them it can lead to pretty successful results as we saw with last night and you know you take away the Leicester first inning which I know is hard to do and you, you can't okay yes I know we I cannot take that. I tried so much yesterday Katie. Right, I, 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 but when you look at the, the four innings after pretty solid he made that one mm-hmm. mistake to Freddie Freeman and other than that you know that's what their Cardinals are hoping for for both of them so you know I think uh we give Lester one more shot. You know, I, I imagine it's a pretty uh, brutal environment out there. <laughs> and we hope the Hap can continue. But I, I think that's pretty much the standard model you're going to expect and what the team expects from these two guys going down the month of August. Yeah, and it's so interesting, the dynamic, how it works, too, because, you know, all season we've talked about how the pitching has been hit hard with all of the injuries, you know. But for the last month and a half, maybe two months, the pitching has been much better. Like mm-hmm. the bullpen has been a lot more secure when they come out of the pen like I don't feel as stressed when guys come out of the bullpen now as I did back in June but you had the other night with John Lester on the mound he struggles but the bullpen was locked in then last night it was Jay Happ gives them exactly what they need the bullpen struggles and T-Bone and I were talking about this before the show today and of course last night Ryan Helsley's the one that like that felt like the spot for Ryan Helsley, Absolutely. right? Sixth inning before you get to the, the trio Latino heat, like we call them before you get there, Ryan Helsley, that's his spot. He gives up the run. You're thinking, okay, well you're still in this ball game. And then the Gallego situation happened. But for me, moving aside from the pitching, I think the narrative around that loss last night is what I've been kind of harping on for a long time. And Nolan Arenado touched on it. The team is struggling to find clutch hitting. Listen to Nolan after the loss last night. Yeah, after that first inning, we didn't really t- um, tack on any more runs after that. You know, it's always great to score early and have the lead, but at the same time, when you're facing a good team like the Braves, you know, it probably doesn't affect them as much because um, there's just so much game left, and they know it. And uh, we knew it too. And it's just uh, so we knew we had to tack on, but 
you know, it's it's not really a killer. It's just a good feeling to have a lead early. But like I said, there's just so much game left. So they get three runs in that first inning. Of course, they come from Nolan Arenado, and, and they had multiple scenarios for the rest of that game with runners at second and third with one out, two out. They weren't getting the clutch hitting, whereas you look at the Atlanta Braves, they came through with clutch hitting after clutch hitting once they got into the bullpen, even when Hap was on the mound. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what I talked with you guys about on Monday is at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what kind of rotation upgrades or what they're doing with their blueprint to just get through five or six innings from their starters if the offense doesn't come through. And I think last night's loss was very indicative of the kind of season this Cardinals team is having. They are very good when you break them up and you look at different elements of their game. You know, they've always been a very solid defensive team. They have a fantastic base running team. But everything else has been streaky. They cannot put their offense together at the same time their starting pitching is rolling, the same time the bullpen looks good. It's, okay, we had... This was going for us well. This was going for us well. And then this happened, and this is why we lost. This Mm -hmm. Cardinals team still has all the talent. They still have the pieces. They just have not put it together all season. And that's the theme that we've seen since pretty much, you know, opening day. I mean, they played some really good baseball in April and early May, and then Jack went down, and they were scrambling again. To me, it was just the perfect wrap-up, the perfect capture of how the season is going, of having all the right pieces and not being able to lock them into place. And that's why they've been hovering around 500, either one game above, exactly at 500, or one game below, and they haven't been able to break away. And they're kind of running out of time to do that. Well, and that's it, too. I mean, look, we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks saying, man, if they could only get Nolan Arenado hot right now because Paul Goldschmidt's been hitting, Tyler O'Neill's been hitting, Harrison Bader's been hitting. Nolan Arenado comes through, and then you go through the rest of the lineup. Tyler O'Neill got on base again, and Tyler O'Neill has been great these last couple of games. Mm-hmm. What is it, T-Bone? Six straight on base? He was to begin the game. I think he's reached base six of seven or seven of eight times yeah, in the series. Yeah, and he went one for two last night with a walk and a strikeout, but then you look beyond that. You get 0 for 4 from Paul DeYoung, 0 for 4 from Yadier Molina, 0 for 4 from Tommy Edmond, 1 for 5 from Dylan Carlson. It's really the meat of that lineup right now that you haven't been able to click on all cylinders whereas you look at the Atlanta Braves they have guys who have come through in the middle of their batting order and I think that's the clutch hitting so as frustrating it is watching Jay Happ go five innings and keeping the run total to two and then the bullpen comes in you also look at the offense and say okay well you scored three runs in the first but where was the rest of that because you know I look at the third inning when you had runners at second and third and two outs I believe that felt like one of those moments where it's like, okay, you put two more runs up on Atlanta, you're probably killing off that team rather than letting them know that they're hovering around still coming back in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these guys know. I mean, the offense, is it's been a narrative all year long. And they have I don't want to diminish the, the positive strides that they've made analytically. Again, we've talked about this. But at the end of the day, it's a results-driven business, right? So when they're not scoring runs, when the only run they can manufacture outside of that three-run home run is a pinch-hit Matt Carpenter single a double steal in which Matt Carpenter steals third standing up, which was very cool. Perfect. I don't know when I've I've ever seen that before. Katie, let me tell you, I texted T-Bone last night when that happened, and I said, if Matt Carpenter is stealing third base in a double steal, you have to win this game. That's exactly you what I was thinking. You have to win that game. I was game. already thinking about how I was going to phrase the story and how cool of a <laughs> moment that was. He scores on the sack fly, but when, that's, when you're man- manufacturing a run, yep. and that's how you have to do it, and then that's all you score for the, you know, one run over the next eight innings, it's a struggle there. So I think this offense really needs to step up because we can debate back and forth. Oh, they didn't get enough pitching. Oh, this isn't going to work. You know, why did they sign? Why did they trade for Lester? Why did they trade for Hap? 
But again, it doesn't matter if the offense can't score runs. You know, I saw on the text line, someone made a good point. You know, you can't blame Lester for that loss. The team only scored one run, right? Yeah. So again, it's all about locking those pieces in and getting them going like they were in early May when everyone's kind of looking around like, oh, this is the Cardinals team. This is what people were talking about when they said they'd be good. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And so, you know, we've talked about this before. August is a huge month. Mm -hmm. It's kind of seems silly to talk about making a playoff push in early August, but I thought Nolan Arnado summed it up pretty nicely in his comments last night when he said, you know, we can't be losing series like this. We have to win games. Otherwise, we're going to fall out of contention. And it's true. Let me ask both of you this. I'll start with you, T-Bone. Yes. Oh, you turned the music off for that question. I'm not going to lie. I I appreciate that. This is an intense question. I got to make sure it stands up to what we need. Was that loss one of the more frustrating ones of the season? 100%. Top five, probably there. The number one one, of course, the Cubs loss. Number two, probably that game where Wayno did the complete game in Washington. Mm-hmm. And then you still lose. And then I think number three has to be probably this one. That That's a frustrating loss because that's a game you felt like you should win. Ferrario, here you go, by the way. Thank you. Katie, here you go. You know, I don't want to. I, I kind of, you guys know me. I stay right in the middle. That's I don't. Smart. I'm not a uh, like. K- Katie, super... there's there's something that we do here on BK and Ferrari. It's your daily sitting on the fence segment. Sooner or later, we'll get a sponsor for this. But BK and I always sit on the fence, so yeah, you're I'm, more I'm than there. welcome to sit there with us. I'm, I'm there. You know, I never want to lean one way into in, in any direction, but yeah. it certainly felt like yesterday was a must win game. Um, but if we're really being serious, today is a must win game. Mm-hmm. You cannot. They've they've made such a big emphasis on winning series. And, you know, hopefully they can get a couple sweeps in there. I mean, you look at August, I think 15 of their next 18 games come against teams under 500. They were supposed to be able to take care against the Braves. They're, Braves are a good team, kind of like the Cardinals, where they've been struggling. They lost a key player. You know, they haven't really been able to break out of 500. You should have been able to take the series there, but you cannot get swept by the Braves. Yeah. Uh, if you do, it puts all the emphasis on rolling through the next two weeks. I mean, they have the Royals and the Pirates. Um, oh, they're really good. Right. You have to capitalize there. If this Cardinals team doesn't capitalize in the next two weeks, then everything Nolan said last night becomes more glaringly obvious and it becomes a much more dire situation. And if they can't continue to win these series, if they can't continue to rack up wins against these lower tier teams, mm-hmm. it ultimately doesn't matter if Jack and Miles comes back, which by the way, it seems fingers crossed that Jack will be back sooner than we all thought. But if, you're, if your hope is to make a playoff push and sneak in that wild card game, it won't matter unless they take care of business for the next two weeks. See, and that's where I'm at. This, this to me, is right behind that disappointing come-from-behind loss to the Chicago Cubs because I feel like this was one of those where you lose the series to the Braves and it kind of sets the tone for the month of August. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I feel like that the reinforcements are coming, as Katie mentioned, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, But has that hole been dug too deep? We're going to touch on that coming up next here on BK and Ferrario. It's it's 11-16, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Katie Wu in for BK, Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario. We're back after this here on 101 ESPN. R.A. Dickey, did you call him Raw Dickey? This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If you have an heir apparent well, and he ain't ready yet, you can't just hand over the keys a year early. you got to be able to figure it out beforehand. And Yachty still wants to play. And as much I know his numbers off- offensively have dropped off a little bit from the beginning of the year, that torrid freaking pace he was on. 
But I'll tell you this still, I want that guy up in a big spot. I want him up with two outs, runners on second and third, and I feel like he's going to get the job done. I believe you need him. I, I still believe that he's the kind of the heartbeat of what this ball club is doing. That's Brad Thompson from the fast lane talking, of course, of Yadier Molina this season. 81 games, a 258 batting average, eight home runs, 43 RBIs, and a slug or a slash line of 298, 386, and an OPS of 685. Of course, Yadier Molina has kind of made his thoughts known with Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch yesterday, making it public that he wants to return to the Cardinals. Now that the trade deadline has come and gone, that's usually when players and agents can start re-engaging in contract extensions with their teams. Molina told Derek Gould that he hopes that the conversations can start up about coming back for 2022. And Katie Wu, who is in for Brandon Kylie of course, Tanner Hendrickson here as well. It sets up a really interesting dynamic for the upcoming season because John Mozeliak has made it very clear. They feel like this is a competitive team in 2022 and has made it very clear that Andrew Kisner right now is as a backup. He is in a position where he could be a starter, but they are hoping for more reps for him. So the Cardinals have a decision to make. Do you bring back a Yadier Molina who's having a good season this year for the Cardinals or do you shift to an Andrew Kisner who can be your starter next season? Or do you look outside the organization for a catcher? Because Yvonne Herrera won't be ready to be your starter next season. I think that's kind of destined for 2023. But if you're going to make a push for a World Series in 2022, Yadier Molina seems like he has to be a part of that for this team rather than go to an Andrew Kisner. You know, and this is no knock on Andrew Kisner because I think he's made tremendous strides all around. I mean, he he could start for a majority of teams in baseball. Yeah. But if you have the opportunity to bring Yadier Molina back for the, the year that the front office, the team, the players believe is their year. I mean, you look at the prospects coming up. You look at the contract money coming off the books. You look at, and I mean, we can get into the CBA and all of that. <laughs> but you look into the potential free agent class, specifically in positions like the shortstop. How do you not bring back Yadier Molina to St. Louis if he wants to come back, right? Like, And again, no knock on Kisner. I, I think we're probably not talking about the advancements that Kisner has made enough, mainly because, you know, he doesn't get a lot of playing time behind Yadier, but yeah. tr- he's just been a, the the strides he's made, the connections he's made with the pitching staff. He's, you know, if he can get a little bit more reps offensively and kind of turn that part, his, his, his time at the plate a little bit better, then he is probably one of the more well-rounded catchers in the game. But if Yadier Molina wants to come back to St. Louis and you're trying to win a World Series in 2022, you do it, right? Regardless yeah. of the if the numbers have tapered off a bit. Obviously, you know, no one's going to hit at that torrid pace he was on in April, right? It's a long season. Things taper <laughs> right. off, right? But again, you say the name alone. It's synonymous with St. Louis. If the Cardinals are pushing for a World Series in 2022 and your horse, your most respected guy in the clubhouse, him and Wayno, if Yadier wants to come back, you bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. If Yadi wants to come back, you bring him back just because you don't know if you have – you could look outside the organization, but who knows the pitching staff better? The names Nobody. just aren't good out it's, there yeah. outside the organization. Yeah, there's right. not a lot of outside free agent-wise. You wouldn't want to pull off a trade. You kind of want someone to bridge that gap from Yadi to Herrera. And even then, you still you, – you mentioned the strides we've seen from Kisner. Well, have him behind Yadi. Maybe he continues to make those strides so then when Yadi does finally step down, if Herrera is not ready, then maybe Kisner is ready to fill that until Herrera is – I, I I would bring back Yachty if he's able, or if, since he says he wants to, I think the Cardinals need to work it out now. I do think that they need to have the honest and true conversation of, look, we need to start getting Kisner more at-bats. We need to play him a little bit more. It, it's nothing against your ability, and we know you want to go out there and play every day, 
but we need to start getting Kisner some reps. We've got to see what we have in Andrew Kisner if we're going to keep him on the roster. If not, he's just a wasted asset by the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if you sell it to Yachty that way, though, because I don't think you can go to Yachty or Molina and ask him to come back for one more year. Who's, who's In all honesty, what Yachty or Molina is doing is trying to solidify his career and legacy as a Hall of Famer, right? Like he's very close with Ted Simmons' numbers in terms of home runs, which, of course, Ted Simmons was just honored with a statue and a number retirement in St. Louis. I don't know if you sell it to Yachty as, look, we're just going to need you to take a step back so we can get more from Andrew Kisner. I think you sell it to Yachty in terms of, hey, we are going to manage your time this season differently because we need you available for a playoff push. And we're not looking at Yachty where you need him 162 games out of the year because let's all be honest, Yachty will play that if he has the opportunity to. But you want to keep it to where you're not you're not lessening the amount of Yachty or Molina that you can use later in the season, if that makes sense. Whereas you know, maybe you look at the beginning of the season to where, yeah, you need to make a little bit of a push. But once you get into the dog days of the summer in baseball, that's where you kind of look at it and say, okay, Yachty, you know, we might shift you off for a couple of days to put Kisner in there. Still can be effective if we upgrade in other areas, but Yachty's still, Yachty's still managing that team, if that makes sense, as a pitching coach, essentially. But you're also getting Kisner in there so you can keep him ready for a playoff push later in the season. Yeah, and you got to keep Molina fresh. That's kind of the thing we're kind of seeing now is he just looks kind of tired. If you watch Yachty play, he looks tired. He's, I don't think he's been as good defensively this year, and that's not a knock because he's still one of the best. He's throwing guys out at his career oh, average. So I think it's just a matter of the fact that he's kind of tired. He sat out the All-Star break, which was assigned to me. I think it was his foot or his knee that mm-hmm. was bothering him. So I think it's just a matter of – we need to get five five of seven games is probably that range, four of seven maybe, of Yachty to Kisner if you do it next year and have that conversation. Because if he's fresh, we saw it at the start of the season. When he was fresh, he was playing well. I still think he has that offensive ability in him. I think he's just gotten tired from the workload that he's accumulated over the years in this season. And we're getting a couple of texts in the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 618. Love Yachty to death. Appreciate all he's done, but it's his defensive decline that scares me. Remember, he was a free agent last year. Nobody else signed him. Also from the 618, our hearts say he's better than he is at this point in his career. And I think that's where some people fall right now. They feel like, you know, Yachty might not be the best option for him. Here are your other options, though. You got a Tucker Barnhart that you could go out and sign. He's got a player or a team option too with so the Cincinnati Reds. Staying. You got Kurt Suzuki that you can look at, who's pretty much up there in age as well. You have a Travis Darno uh, who could be an option for you. Been hurt this year. I look at all of those names, Katie, and I say none of these names make you a better team because none of these players know your pitching staff better than Yadi knows your pitching staff. And we might overestimate that here in St. Louis, but. Watching Yachty perform with those pitchers compared to putting somebody else in that position, it's just night and day in my opinion. And the same can be said with Andrew Kisner. I think Kisner can get there, but I don't know if Kisner is ready to be 100 games out of the season or 90 games out of the season working with his pitching staff instead of Yachty. You know, I I see a lot of fans cite like metrics and, and stats, and don't get me wrong, you know, stats and metrics can tell a story, but... When you're there every day and you're seeing the amount of work that these catchers put in, there the amount of conversations that go on, the amount of time that Yachty and Kisner both take to make these relationships with their pitchers and they're always working, I don't think there's anyone in that in, in that's that is a catcher in baseball that works harder than Yachty or Molina in establishing relationships and knowing that trust in his pitchers is the like utmost important thing for him. Yeah. 
You look at the way he commands the field. You look at the way he can get out and block pitches. You look at the way he can calm everything down. You're not going to get that if you bring in a one- or two-year rental. And, you know, I'm not talking about Kisner here. I'm talking about if you bring someone in from the outside. Right. You're not going to get that kind of leadership. You're not going to get that level of respect. Every single person in baseball that has gone on the record and talked about Yachty, the first thing they say is have a lot of respect for him. That's the first thing John Lester said to us. You know, he's like... John Lester's been kind of a pain for the Cardinals. I mean, yeah, that's coming from a Cub and a Red Sox. Right, right. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, he didn't do anything against the Cardinals in his career. That would make <laughs> Cardinals fans unhappy. Yeah, what are we talking about? Right. But the first thing he said was, I'm excited to throw to Yachty. Like, yeah. I really respect what he's done in his career. So you can't just let that go uh, and not spend the money if you're going to get a one or two year rental. I do think Carrera is the real, the real deal. I believe that the organization believes he's the long term catcher of the future. He certainly looks very promising. But. I think the best plan going forward, if you're going to be focusing on the catcher situation, is you re-sign Yadier Molina, and I don't think you're going to be very successful in telling him, hey, you can only, you know, we're only looking for four to five days out of you. I mean, that's not going to fly well. But there needs to be a better way to implement Kisner in there, too, because Kisner is improving. Uh, Obviously, like, you can't compare the two. That's really unfair. But there is a way to do it that will make this team successful, and I do not think it, it involves bringing anyone in from the outside. Here's the other thing, and the last thing I'll say on this, too. I think Yadi also... To your point, Katie, Yachty also brings your level of acquiring a free agent pitcher to a higher level, in my opinion. It does. Like, like exactly what you just mentioned. You know, And I don't know who those names are because we've looked at that free agent market this upcoming year in terms of pitchers. And other than Max Scherzer, there's not a whole lot of names that make you kind of start to get excited. But you have to upgrade your pitching staff for the upcoming season if you're going to make a serious push. And Yachty helps that because anybody that's on the market knows that, oh, I get to throw to Yachty or Molina. But on top of it, you also have to be aggressive in the free agent market in terms of signing other names, upgrading offensively. If you're going to make a push, Yachty's a big selling point of that, but you have to make sure that you solidify that. I think he's also a selling point to bring back Adam Wainwright as well for one more push. Oh, if Adam Wainwright wants to come back, uh, I you know, you do it. I. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard. I think it'd be really hard for Cardinals fans to stomach one returning or, you know, the Cardinals resigning one and not the other. Yeah. I think wherever they go, they go together, right? I mean, I wasn't here for the offseason for that turmoil on, oh, where are they going to go? Are they going to oh, come back? Oh, it was back? pandemonium, Katie. It was pandemonium. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if you know Wainwright has been, you know, dodging the question, and rightfully so, about whether he's going to retire or not, I know that he told Ken Rosenthal, you know, Maybe one more year, but if he decides to come back, I can't imagine it being anything but a St. Louis uniform. I mean, again, we've talked about this. This Cardinals team is so far out of contention without Adam Wainwright. I firmly believe he has been their most prized player this season just from his ability to command this rotation once every five days. I mean, he's pitched in the seventh inning, what, 12 out of his last 15 starts? I mean, he's thrown two complete games. You go out there and you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the same Adam Wainwright performance you've gotten for the past, I don't know, 50 years, it seems like he's not showing any kind of his age. And if he wants to come back, you do it. Yeah. Right. You you make it happen. And I know what this there's a lot going on and it's hard to just necessarily go out there and say, oh, the front office needs to sign so and so because we don't know what it's going to look like when the CBA uh, negotiations take place. And, you know, is there going to be a work stoppage? Right. Usually these things, when new negotiations take place, they benefit the owner's side. That's just historically how it's been. So it's kind of hard to to picture and just say, oh, let's bring back these guys, let's just re-sign them, give them the money, because we don't know what this is going to look like. But in an ideal situation, if both of these guys want to come back and play baseball in 2022, you make that happen. Yeah, you make that happen without question. She's Katie Wu in for Brandon Kylie this hour. Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. I know Katie's excited for this. Questions and answers. You send questions, we'll give you some answers next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Service text line 65780. You got questions. We will have the answers for you. Katie Wu in for BK this hour. We got Luke Korak jumping in studio next hour. Switch over to a little hockey talk. Of course, Blues Insider for NHL.com. But now let's get some questions on that Air Comfort Service text line from the 217. How different would this Cardinal season look if Flaherty and Michaelis injuries never happened? Katie, we'll start with you. Why don't we look at uh, end of April, early May? Oh, Right. When this there team look, you you go in and you think that you have enough starting pitching. Right. I mean, you could you knew Hudson was out. Right. We, they planned. They felt like they planned accordingly for that. You can argue it was risky to think that Martinez would be I consistent. About him at this point. <laughs> you know, what's amazing. I actually did, too. Yeah, I was actually writing them down. and I was like, I'm missing somebody. I it was Carlos. It was Carlos there. But go ahead. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> oh, no. All good. Um. And you could argue, you know, well, Michaelis is coming off surgery. There's some question marks there. But they felt like they had enough because you you don't envision Jack Flaherty going down, right? You don't envision your entire rotation getting hurt. Remember when they had like three starters yeah. uh, at one time? Um, you don't awful. envision having to bump up Johan Oviedo and Jake Woodford maybe before they're ready, you know, and have to learn on the strict learning curve that can often be detrimental in the overall development. So I think it's completely different, right? You know, if, if Flaherty and Michaels never go down and we can't think like that, you know, hindsight is always 2020. You can't think like that. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Then we're probably the biggest issue we're focusing on is the offense. But then again, and we see what the Brewers are doing. If you have really solid starting pitching, you don't need a robust offense that needs to score seven or eight runs a game to win. So, you know, it's the questions like that are difficult because it's so easy to go back and say, oh, I wish this never happened or it could be so much different. Right. But the point is, if these guys are coming back now, we'll get a chance to see, you know, maybe a preview of if they can round out this season on a high note and what to kind of expect going into 2022. Yeah, it gives you hope for that 2022, especially if they look healthy the rest of the way. I mean, look, we started the season and I feel like T-Bone, because we talked about it, I felt like you had two rotations in terms of depth. Like you had 10 guys you felt like could start for you. It starts with the normal ones, but you had Ponce, you had Gant, you had Austin Gomber before the Arenado trade happened. You had Woodford, Oviedo, like you had a lot of guys that that just didn't work out for you, which kept kind of diminishing. And then the KK injury tapped in. But look, if Flaherty and Michaelis don't go down, I don't know if you're the best team in the Central, but I do think you're a lot closer than, what, 11 games right now where you sit. So, uh, uh, like Katie said, you can't look back on that because there's no real there's no real way to look at that, but I do think you're, you're closer to a division than you are now. T- tough to look back on it, but I do think if you don't have those injuries... You don't go through what you had happen in June, that mm-hmm. that rough stretch. June, yeah, June probably and, doesn't happen. And the reason I say that is because we saw how Flaherty was pitching. We've seen what Wainwright was pitching. What's the thing we talked about with the Milwaukee Brewers? Well, with their big three in their rotation, uh, they are basically slump-proof because they're going to have one of those three guys give you a great outing and give you a chance to win. Cardinals kind of would have had that if they kept if Flaherty, Michaelis are healthy because you have Flaherty and Wainwright guys that you felt confident in when they get you a start. So you don't see this trickle down effect where if you lose Wainwright's start, uh oh, now we get four guys that were very uncertain of. No, right. you went, oh, okay, we lose Wainwright's start. We got Jack Flaherty. We can win that one. I don't. That June run never really occurs, yeah. in my opinion. If you don't lose, and I don't guys. think if mm-hmm. the June if the June doesn't happen, then again you're looking at a lot closer in that central uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers. Questions and answers. Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight. Oh, from the 217, would Carlos Correa's involvement in the Astros cheating scandal keep Moe and company from pursuing him in free agency? 
you know, I don't know. I think the, the Cardinals have a lot to answer in terms of their shortstop. You know, I don't understand all of the the digs that Paul DeYoung was getting. He was he had a really good July. And yeah. I think we're, you know, people are just ignoring that because you look at the overall stat line. Here's what we know about Paul DeYoung. He has never really hit for average, but he's always hit for plus power. He plays a great shortstop. Sosa is a very exciting up-and-coming guy that can play multiple defensive positions. He gets on base. He's creative in a very small sample size. So for me, it's not necessarily writing off, you know, DeYoung and putting Sosa in or saying one is better than the other. It's let's look at what we've seen over the past four seasons from Paul DeYoung, who's proven himself to be a power hitter. He can hit the ball, you know. He went through a lot of stuff in the first half of the season that is being diminished. Um, You know, the injury coming back from a 2020 season where the entire team had COVID, right? Him included, correct? Right, exactly. So you saw July, he made those changes. He's coming around. You see Sosa, you know, is this something that the Cardinals think that is going to be a long-term effort from him? Is this a long-term expectation from him? And then you go from there and you explore the free agent market. I still think, you know, if you're going to pick one name out of that class, it's Trevor Story. I mean, you look at the obvious reunion story, story and story, that was bad. She's got the she's Ooh. got the dad jokes too, and that I was, like that it. Was even a, that was an accident. Sound. No, that was good. That was good. That baby. was an accident. There it is. I'm so sorry. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> uh, but you have uh, Arenado and Story there if, you know, they decide to move on from the shortstop options that they have, or they could really be in on Paul DeYoung too and, and maybe want to figure out something with Sosa. I don't know. But if you're going to look at the free agent signings or the free agent class and look at possibly a signing, I think Trevor Story is the most, the biggest option. It doesn't really sound like Trevor Story wanted to be in Colorado after the trade deadline anyway. So, Yeah, I think Story and Seager to me would probably be the two that you would target ahead of Correa. But I don't know if the front office would be that weary of uh, Correa's number, numbers because of the cheating scandal. I don't know if that would have an effect on the front office because you look at Carlos Correa. Sure, 2020, he was worse. 2021, he's been an all-star. He has an OPS of 845, OPS plus 133. So I I don't know if the cheating thing is that big a deal for Carlos Correa. I think teams are going to be willing to hand him money and and not worry about what happened in Houston. I think that's what keeps the Cardinals out of it, though. You're going to get desperate teams. Carlos seems like he's the one sure. He and Corey Seager and Trevor Story are the three sure ones that you know are hitting free agency. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure, sure about Javi Baez anymore now that he's with Francisco Lindor. Marcus Simeon doesn't seem like he's going to be wanting to leave Toronto. So you get three guys and look, there's not going to be 30 plus teams that need shortstops. It's going to be probably half of the league maybe, but that's still competition. And we know kind of where the Cardinals fall into that competition. But to your point, Katie, it really does come down to what DeYoung does the rest of the season and how they view him uh, with this organization. One more before we get Katie out of here, because, of course, she's got a Cardinals game to cover this evening. From the 618, Katie, you and, you and Ferrario and T-Bone said that Herrera should be ready in 2023. Me personally, I want Yachty there to teach Herrera. Does that sway the Cardinals into trading Kisner so that Herrera is ready to train under Yachty? I mean, it's a it's a fair question, but I think they're really going to value the time of development in the minors. I mean, you'll he'll probably get a, an invite to spring training next year, and that's maybe where Yachty can take over. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a good point. You do want your catcher of the future to learn over to, to learn from the catcher that you've had for over the last decade or so, and that is so instrumental in this franchise. Um, but I think most of that will take place in spring training. Um, I can't see them bringing up Herrera just to be mentored under Yachty when that can take place in other elements of the season. Yeah, well, and you're gonna you're not gonna bring a guy up. To- that I feel like you're just going to say, okay, well, you're just going to sit back and watch Yachty because you do need somebody who can play 40 to 60 games for the upcoming season. Yeah, and you don't want Herrera to sit back and watch kind of how Kisner's done it because the Cardinals, if you gave Mo Truth Serum, he'd say that they probably would have handled things differently, differently with Carson Kelly, who was before Kisner, and Kisner because bringing them up and having them sit 
it's hard for them to stay ready. And I think that's why we see the offensive numbers have that drop from Kisner. When he played, he looked good. Mm-hmm. But when he's coming off the bench, he, he yeah. doesn't look as it's good. It's hard he's to not do when you're reps. young. It's hard. I, I think I'm with Katie. You're going to have learned from Yachty at spring training. I don't think you bring him up to just bring him up and sit behind Yachty and learn because I think it's better for him to play in the minors. I'd like to know if they actually make this truth serum that everyone keeps talking about. Is this a thing? I think so. Are you sure? No. Is it? If it is, we need, I'm to, pretty sure it we is. need to find out because that would be useful every once in a while for BK. That, oh, just to oh, find out uh, if his takes are true or not. No. no. Okay. Not anymore. Katie, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and stopping in. Of course, guys. Always a great time. Make sure you're following Katie on Twitter. Katie J. Wu. She is a fun follow, especially during Cardinals games. And of course, be sure to be uh, subscribing to The Athletic to check out all of her work. She'll be covering the Cardinals action this evening against the Braves. We'll take a break and come back. Switch over to a little hockey conversation. Lou Korak of NHL.com. He joins me in studio for the next hour here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Buchnevich, O'Reilly, Perron, Saad, Shen, Kairou. That is a lot of potential. And when I say potential, let's talk 20 goal scorers. Buchnevich just scored 20 in a shortened season. He can do it. We know O'Reilly can score 20. David Perron just did it. Uh, Saad. He can be a 20-goal scorer. He's done it five times in his career. Braden Shen, he's been one of the Blues' top scorers. And then Jordan Cairo, he scored 14 in a shortened season last yep. year. So you got to believe that the potential's there for 20. So there's the potential of six guys, not saying they're all going to do it, but who can score 20. I don't know that you can look up and down the West and say there's a potential for six 20-goal scorers. That was Jeremy Rutherford, who was with us yesterday in studio talking about the Blues' top six forward core. And, of course, we're going to get into a little Blues conversation. And to do that, we welcome in my good buddy, Lou Korak, who covers the team for the NHL.com website. You can follow him on Twitter, at L Korak. Lou Ball, we'll finally get you in studio, my man. The man cave. I finally get to see the man cave. You get to see how Tanner works, how good he is on the board. (laughs) Well, kind of underwhelming, isn't it? Right. Unfortunately, you don't get to see BK and all his glory. Yeah, oh, what's, now that's what's, a plus. What's yeah, the that deal? Where, well, vacation mode. You oh. know, he just decides that hockey season's coming up soon and he has all that work on pre and post. He's got to take vacation. The dog days of August. The you got to love it. <laughs> all that baseball talk, all those hot yeah. takes, he's got to take yeah. a day off from him. So, Lou, I wanted to t- start off with this top six and bottom six because JR talking, of course, of the potential with a top six that we can all kind of assume. It's Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Braden Shen, Pavel Buchnevich, and if you want to put Thomas or Jordan Kyrou there, me personally, I'm putting Jordan Cairo there. Yes, we're in agreement. That's finally. So we're in agreement there, although I know a lot of people have said Robert Thomas. But you have potentially six 20-goal scorers in that top six. But you also look at your bottom six now with no Tyler Bozak anymore. Robert Thomas is probably going to be playing on that one. You don't have Sammy Blay. Zach Sanford is back from his arbitration. It is a much different look from your top six than the bottom six when healthy do you feel like it's a massive drop-off there, though? It depends, and I say that with a caveat because it depends on what they do with Tarasenko here and and the return that you get for him because you got to feel like that I don't see Doug Armstrong going to get picks for him specifically, so you got to feel like that 
there's going to be some kind of an impact player coming back in a return there once it's finally done. So whoever that is and wherever he goes, you got to feel like maybe whoever that player is can kind of slot in there. And that's kind of I've thought about this last couple of days. That's kind of how I've had these lines constructed. And personally, right now on my third line, that's barring no Tarasenko trade yet. I've got Klim Cost in there. I'm giving him a chance. Yeah. I literally am giving him a chance. I've got Robert Thomas centering that line because I think those two can go great together. And right now, I know this isn't a popular opinion right now, but I think you have to play before you know exactly what your roster is. I think you got to slot Zach Sanford in there right now. And I say that. So to answer your question, when you're looking at that, there is a drop-off. How significant? I don't know yet. I think that's going to depend on what you get from Clem Cost and, and how much Robert Thomas is going to bring from where he was before. Well, and then I, I'm just assuming your fourth line, you're looking at an Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev and then a Kyle Clifford slash Dakota Joshua. If you go back and look at 1819, and apparently that's how a lot of people view it because you're comparing it to a cup contending team, you know, your third line of Tyler Bozak, Robert Thomas, Pat Maroon, that didn't set the world on fire in the regular season, right? People didn't look at that third line and like, oh man, that's going to be tough to deal with. People didn't look at the fourth line thinking, well, that's tough to deal with because at the time it was Sunquist, Barbashev, and Steen was kind of floating around there. You had other guys in there as well. As, as underwhelming as it looks on paper, you could actually get some serious potential from a couple of those guys. Clem Costin, we don't really know yet, but if you finally get a third-line opportunity for him, maybe he flourishes. Robert Thomas, who by all accounts knows he needs to be better than what he was last year, you could potentially be looking at guys that could be top six forwards playing in your third line. Yeah, and I mean, think about it, Alex. I mean, look what they got from those guys in 2019, and look at the trust that Craig Berube instilled in those guys without those guys they don't win a stanley cup i'm sorry it just doesn't happen so can you be looking at a similar situation i think you can because once a coach goes up to these guys and says listen i'm going to put you in these situations i trust that you can get the job done what are you going to think i mean if that doesn't inspire you i don't know what is and these guys are going to get that opportunity they're going to have to get that opportunity because you see the way the game is played right now there's just so much parity, so much balance that you can't just rely on your top six guys, top three guys to do everything. It, it's just impossible. You hear coaches talk about it all the time. It's You have to trust your four lines. And it's a cliche, yes, but it's so true because minutes are so balanced out. And you saw it in the playoff series against Colorado. Look how much they used O'Reilly and he he was taxed. He was spent. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was spent. and But they had no choice because of the injuries that they were dealing with and just some of the inconsistencies and lack of production that they were getting from those bottom guys. And you, you just saw such a disparity in minutes. You just cannot win 16 playoff games anymore trying to rely on your best guys. Yeah. It, you can't, it can't happen. Well, you need guys that you can put faith in when they take the ice, right? Like, you need yeah. to know that they're not going to be a defensive liability, that they can match up. You know, if for some reason the other team gets their first line out there, you need to be able to trust your guys who are out there. And if you're looking at some of these players, you know, some of them are going to have an experience. If Dakota Joshua is getting a shot this season in the NHL, if Clem Costin's getting that shot in the NHL, you know, there's not a lot of service time on their resume coming into the NHL this season. But you also look at it, and I'm, there's going to be people that blow up the text line on this, Lou, so get ready for it. <laughs> I think you, I know, get ready, T-Bone. I think you do have to talk about Zach Sanford 
I mean, look, realistically, he's a part of this team now. $2 million for his arbitration victory yesterday, so he is re-signed for one year with this Blues team. Offensively, he was okay last year. Wasn't anything to rely upon. Defensively, he struggled with the team. Turned a lot of pucks over that resulted in goals at the end of the season and into the postseason, Lou. But if you're looking at Zach Sanford as a bottom six forward for the upcoming season and you don't really have high expectations for a player like that, can a player like Zach Sanford flourish for Craig Berube if he comes in with maybe a underwhelming role for this team compared to what he did last year where he came in as a top six forward? Well, he better because he's coming in on a one-year contract. Uh, and let me throw this little caveat at you here, Alex, and just to appease all, all yeah, the Zach do. Sanford haters because out there. Because they're already coming in. Ferrario, well, you're an idiot. Zach Sanford, <laughs> are you kidding me? Sanford's a bust, turnover machine. Go ahead. Please help me, Lou. Well, Look at it this way, too. You signed him for one year here. Could he be part of a trade with a package with Tarasenko? Because yeah, somebody point. can look at that and say, well, he's on a one-year contract, and if he doesn't work out, he's an unrestricted free agent next year, you let him go. Yeah. You let him go and see what else he can get. So you have to think about it from that from that aspect, too. And $2 million, yeah. pretty inexpensive. So, But... He's on this roster now, like you said, and you have to look at it that way. So he better because Doug Armstrong basically said, and he had L- he had arbitration rights. Yeah. So you know we you could have gotten ugly there if you if if you go that route. But he basically said, here's one year, here's what we're going to pay you. Go out and prove yourself. Yeah. Well, and we've seen arbitrations in the past with the Blues. Uh, Joel Edmondson being one that was traded after he won that arbitration deal. Uh, Justin or not Justin Falk. It was Vladimir Sabotka who won the deal. Went to the KHL, came back for a couple of years, and then of course was in that Ryan O'Reilly trade. The one other thing I wanted to get to in speaking of what Doug Armstrong has mentioned in the past about this group, and this kind of ties in to the bottom six, Lou. We remember Doug Armstrong talking about the mentality of death by a thousand cuts for his roster, meaning you got four lines that can go out there and do exactly. What what you need to do. You're not having a, you know, Connor McDavid step on the ice and blow teams away. There's four lines that you're going to roll out there and try and wear down the other team. Well, Jamie Rivers talked a little bit about this on the fast lane yesterday about maybe getting back to that death by a thousand cuts mentality. I'd rather have the balance throughout the lineup to where every single time, every line has somebody that's capable of doing damage. Doesn't mean they're going to be like dynamic and hurt you every single time, be electric out there. It just means that Ivan Barbashev can score. Oscar Sundquist can score. Zach Sanford can score. Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Buchnevich, Brandon Saad. So I like it. I, I think that if you build your team properly like Army has in the past, i.e. the Stanley Cup championship, they had death by a thousand cuts on that team. And I think that you can hopefully get to that point again with what he's put together so far. So as the roster stands right now, and we kind of talked about those line situations for the blues. Do they have that death by a, a thousand cuts set up? If you look how they match up against other central division teams, because for me, you know, you look at the, the top, the peak performance in the central, it's going to be Colorado right after that. It's probably Winnipeg. Then you'll have the Blues. Then you're going to have Minnesota, Dallas floating around there as well. Arizona, maybe Nashville, if they're if they do anything this offseason. Do they have the best death by a thousand cuts set up? I think they can. I mean, and I I hate to keep referencing it, but, you know, you, you have to go back to the Stanley Cup season because it was just so f- that's the measuring so step, yeah, right? It, it is. And it has to be because you still got a lot of guys on this roster. Um 
Think about it, Alex. Look at you talked about Barbashev. You talked about Sunquist and Steen as that fourth line. How many times did Craig Berube start them in a game and they went out there in the first minute and scored a goal? Yeah. It happened. A lot. Yeah, it happened a number of times. And man, that just fired that group up and just set the tone. They've they've still got those guys. And those are the guys to me that are gonna kind of be key here. And now you don't have Alex Steen. Okay, that's that's a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of wisdom that's gone. He he's gone. He's not coming back. Um, Literally, you know, he's gone. He's in well, Sweden now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's not even around here anymore. But you know who I really like with Barbashev and Sunquist? I like Dakota Joshua. I do too. I like what he brings. So, And Sunquist gives you that versatility where you can slide him over to the right, slide Joshua in between those guys. That That group right there... I see a lot of potential, and I see the ability to give you what Barbashev, Sunquist, and Steen gave you two years ago. So I think the caveat there is what those three guys can give you. I'm with you on that. He's Luke Korak. The Blues do still need one other area, in my opinion, to upgrade, and we're going to dive into that and how that stacks up against the Central next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Need and want might be two different things, Brandon. I I do think that uh, based on the history that we've seen with the way Doug Armstrong likes to build his defensive core, um, I I think they've got enough guys to fill some holes now um, if you had to. But based on the cap space available you know, and what's available, I do think that if you can go out and find another and if Doug Armstrong has a chance to go get another kind of consistent, something he can rely on, veteran defenseman, I think absolutely that's something the Blues would like to do. And that's just based on the history of how stacked Doug Armstrong likes to have his defense. That was the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, on with us last week, of course, talking about the Blues still needing a defenseman. Now that cap space he was talking about is gone. I think it's, what, 1.5 now, Lou, after the Zach Sanford? And you still have Robert Thomas RFA to figure out. And look, when you win slash if you trade Vladimir Tarasenko, which I think we're all under the assumption you will trade him, you're going to open up more cap space. And when you look at this roster right now, we've talked about the forward core but you also turn to your defense and the hope is Colton Pareko is hundred percent this season because that makes he a world. Be. Of, he has to be, that makes a world of difference for the blues, especially after what we witnessed last year, Justin Falk was their best defenseman last year. He's going to be back to that form. I expect Tory Krug to be better than what he was last year as well for the St. Louis. But then you have a lot of what ifs. Marco Scandella took a step back from what he was when he was acquired by the Blues. Um, you no longer have Carl Gunnarsson. Robert Bortuzzo is here right now. He's been kind of a sixth, seventh defenseman for the team. But you're turning your inexperience over to a Jake Wallman who played well last season, but matches an awful lot of what you have in Tory Krug in what was Vince Dunn. Scott Perunovich is another name that people keep bringing up. And then there's Nico Mikla. But I don't know if you look at this team right now, Lou, and sit here and say, okay, well, if they're going to be a cup contender, this is the defense that'll take them to the promised land. No, I agree with you. And uh, you'd mentioned Tory Krug. I think he can have that. And I don't want to say he really had a poor year last year. I mean, the by- dude had like, what, 50 points on yeah. the season? Well, yeah, well. Or was it 45? I thought I have to look at that. 32, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but, a, but only two goals. Yeah. So from that aspect, do we want to see him put more pucks in the net? Yes. 
You've got to have that. God, Lou, you're like the Rain Man. <laughs> 32 exactly. Two goals and 30 assists. That's scary. Way to go. <laughs> Staring at those numbers too much. But, uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> I need a vacation. But um, I think he's going to have that bounce back year that Justin Falk had this year. Too. Because remember, everybody was ready to run him out of town oh, yeah. after his first year. Biggest bust of ever, ever, right. ever, they were saying. So you got an Eastern guy coming over to the West. There's some adjustment there. Yeah, there's going to be some pressure because you just signed a long-term big deal contract. Sure, there's going to be some pressure. He's been in Boston his whole career, just like Justin Falk was in Carolina his entire career. So I think he's going to bounce back well. But when you get into that... Um, could they use somebody else, maybe some veteran experience, a guy that's been there and done that? Should I throw the name out there? That Do we it. Just... Give it to him. I would really, seriously, if you can do this, I would give Zidane Chara a look. Yeah. I really would. I'm just intrigued by the fact if he's going to be relatively inexpensive again, a guy that's been there and done that, mm-hmm. he's won a cup, just played against, look how good he was against the Blues two years ago. Right. You know? And I, you know, what is he, 44 years old? I still think he's got game. He's playing, he played 18, 19 minutes for Washington last year. And he played in the playoffs for yes. him as well. Yes. Can you imagine uh, a scenario, a shutdown pair with him and Colton Pareko? Well, that's where I'm at with this one, Lou. That's what this team's missing, in my opinion. You're missing a big body defenseman who can play the defensive role because. Last year, the way that you looked at those matchups defensively is you had, I, I don't even really remember who was playing with Colton Pareko, but you were shuffling people around. Marco Scandella played there for a little bit. Jake Wallman played there for a little bit. Mikola played there for a little bit. But you didn't have what Jay Bomeister was for Pareko, and that's a stay-at-home defenseman who allowed Colton Pareko to jump up into the rush. And I think you have a lot of those guys that like to jump into the rush and play offense on the D side which is a good thing to have. Like we've seen blues being successful is having offense from your defense, but you also have to have a little bit more sustainability on your blue line. And Marco Scandella and Robert Portuzo, those are the two guys that I look at and say, okay, they're stay at home defensemen. You're missing that one player. You're missing a big body who can play nasty in front of his own net, who can keep guys out, but also can give a little bit more leash to a player like Colton Pareko or Tori Krug, whomever they're playing with. They just seem to be missing some bite back there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and here I go again, referencing 2019. How many times am I going to do that? It's fine. But, I do it all the time. <laughs> I still live on it. They had bite back there. And last year, it just didn't seem like enough of that bite was there. And, and I say that from a physical standpoint because, I mean, you lost Petrangelo. He's a big body. Yeah. Say what you want about Jay Bomeister. He took up a lot of space on the ice. I mean, everybody talked about when he and Pareko played together. You know, you put their sticks together, and it probably it was probably the width of the ice. Oh, They're just taking everything away. Right. You know, those are some big bodies. Carl Gunnarsson, that's a bigger body that's gone. And you're throwing Krug and Falk out there for 23, 24, 25, 26 minutes, and they're smaller in stature, and you're expecting them to go into the corners against guys that are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", night in and night out for those kinds of minutes over. And and granted, it was only a 56-game season, but still, that wears guys down. And teams know this now, that the St. Louis Blues aren't this big, bad, imposing group back there anymore. We can take advantage of this. So, you know, and I'm with you, and 
I know I joked about this with you the last time I talked to you. You had your man crush on Jamie Alexiak, and he's gone. And I, I think he would have been a good fit here if, if he was out there. Somebody of that kind of stature, somebody that plays that kind of a game would be would be a good fit. And that's why I threw the name Chara out there because I haven't really I haven't looked extensively at the left D's yet and who else yeah. is available out there on the, it's a bargain bin. Yeah, right now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you're, there's not a lot of names that get you excited about matching that, that fit that the blues are looking for right now. And look, I think Nico Mikola is going to be a top six defenseman at some point for this team. I like yeah. the way he plays. I still think there's a little bit of rawness to his game, but he's getting to what the blues are hoping for back there. I liked Jake Wallman, but Jake Wallman is a lot like Tory Krug. And the same can be said about Scott Perunovich. We haven't seen Scott Perunovich. And I know people are hoping he's going to be Kale McCarr. But there's a reason he was drafted where he was drafted and Kale was drafted Some where he was drafted. shoes to be put in. Exactly. So <laughs> you look at this team, and I think the way to, com- to comp it, Lou, is you look at the Central Division. Look at what the Blues struggled with against the Colorado Avalanche this past season. You couldn't stop guys from getting in front of Jordan Bennington. Brandon Saad had seven goals, and it felt like every one of them was because his butt was right in front of Jordan Bennington's or face. Or Gabe Landeskog. Exactly. But then you also look, now that you're back into the Central, Chicago has just gotten much better in terms of offense and defense with Tyler Johnson and then yeah. Seth Jones. Min, uh, Winnipeg is a very difficult team to deal with. Minnesota, you had their number last year, but Minnesota's a team that's up and coming with some big bodies. You got to find guys who can clear the front of that paint because I remember Bennington talking about how his success came from knowing where the puck was at all times. And this last year, I feel like it was a lot of thinking pucks going one way and then the deflection or a guy in front's going the other. Well, when guys can literally pitch a tent in, in your grill, and that's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you know... You know, I, the other day, and you mentioned Jordan Bennington, I was looking at his numbers, and yeah, you know, you, you look at it on paper, they weren't very good, and then I kept thinking, man, a lot of a lot of goals he gave up, sure, there were goals that he wanted to have back, but man, a lot of them were, couldn't see the puck, mm-hmm. you know, and that's because guys are just camping out in front of them, and that that's what I was referencing to with those bigger bodies, and say what you wanted about guys like Petro and Gunnarsson and even J-Bo, who weren't known to be those guys that are that are going to play that rough style role, but they had the ability to clear the net when needed to be. Yeah. And they did. And no, were, were they known as the big, bad, bruising physical guys? No, but when opportunity presented itself, they got the job done there. And I just don't think they had that aspect enough of it last year. And when you talked about Marco Scandella, that's why I say maybe bring in another veteran guy, although he and, Colton Pareko, when they first got together, Phenomenal. they were really good. That's yeah, what got him really the good. extension was how good he played. But if you can, if you can put somebody with Colton Pareko right now and slide Scandella down as a third pairing yeah. D man, now you've got now you've uh-huh. got some balance there. Where you're not relying on 18, 19 minutes from Scandella, but you're yeah. getting 13, 14 minutes out of Scandella, and I think that's a huge kind of asset going into this upcoming season. Uh, real quick, a little bit of news to get to here. David Panyota uh, of the fourth period reporting that the Devils have signed Thomas Tatar, two-year, $9 million deal. Uh, I bring this up, Lou, because Devils were one of the reported teams that were talking to the Blues about Vladimir Tarasenko, that's because they were they were in need for a top six winger. And of course, Thomas Tatar is a top six winger for them. Does that take them out of the running? And does that put more onus on the Islanders possibly having a deal for Tarasenko soon? It could very well be. Uh, 
I, without knowing what the devil's cap situation is like right now. I think um, they got 13 mil. Well. But I do know that they are trying to get rid of the P.K. Subban contract as well. That's an, uh, that's that, like that's an albatross. That's that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good, good luck doing that. But if they still have that kind of cap space remaining, well, then, you know, chances are they're going to. They're going to offload somebody, so there's going to be more cap space available. So they still have the room. I mean, depending on what their situation is, they still have a, the room to fit in a Tarasenko. So I wouldn't necessarily rule them out, but going in this direction probably lends one to believe that maybe they didn't want to wait around anymore. Yeah, it's kind of what I was thinking also. He's Luke Korak. He's in for Brandon Kylie today. We'll take a break. We talked about getting back to that nastiness defensive side for the Blues, maybe finding that left defenseman. But are the Blues closer to their identity this upcoming season than what they have been for the last couple of years? Lou and I will talk about that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Um, I think it has shifted back to the type of team that is more suited for the Craig Berube style of play. Brandon Saad will get the puck in. He'll play smart. He won't just let it go. He'll hold on to it when he can. But Shnevich is a puck control kind of player. Uh, according when you talk to people with the New York Rangers, that can play that style. They brought in two guys that are, I, I think, more reliable two-way type players. Once again, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, he was on with us yesterday talking about the identity for the St. Louis Blues, and that's where I wanted to get into next. Lou Korak of NHL.com, Blues Insider, is with us in studio. He's in for BK today. Of course, be sure to be following Lou on Twitter at L Korak. So, Lou Ball, you look at the identity of what the Blues were hoping for. 1819, of course, the measuring stick. 1920, that identity was still there, even though you lost a little bit of fight with Edmondson and Pat Maroon. And then last season, last season felt like it was a it was a group of players that didn't know what they were trying to be in terms of the St. Louis Blues identity. You had some guys that were pushing that were the feistiness. You had other guys that were trying to play the pond hockey style. And it felt like you just got mixed up in this like twilight zone of Blues hockey. If you look at the team now with Saad, Buchnevich, some of these younger guys getting an opportunity, a Dakota Joshua who looked like he matched the blue system really well, Clem Costin who plays a gritty style. It, it sure does seem like the blues are getting closer to that identity that they want all along. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I go back to when we talked to Brandon Saad, what was it, last week I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I like when he was asked, you know, why did he choose the blues? I I like the fact that, he specifically said that, you know, I like the things that they do. They they play the sort of style of game that's, that suits my strengths. And that tells me right there that, you know, he didn't necessarily, you know, go reach for the stars with the money. Right. Because obviously his AAV, and I'm still to this day amazed that Doug I Armstrong was able to pull that one off. Uh, I, there was no way that I was thinking four and a half AAV for him. And I thought, you know, you know, he was going to be out of the running here if he was going to want any more than what he wanted. So that just told me that, you know, he was looking for a fit as much as anything else. And I, I think he's a fit for that style. I think Pavel Buchnevich is a fit for that style. And you can see 
the progression and the elevation in his game in, in his five years with the New York Rangers has fit that. They've they utilized him more on the PK. Yeah. You know, he brought some of that feistiness. I think Blues fans, all you have to do is what, YouTube the clip where he smacked Brad Marchand in the head. And, and then he was the one that was in the Tom Wilson scrum. Yeah. That's what Micheletti had told JR that like he was the one that was going after Tom Wilson after yeah. all of that went down. So you're gonna love that. And you've got you've got one guy that has some of that feistiness on each line. And I think last year that, you know, they were just missing that. So can they get back to that? I think on paper it says it's trending in that direction, but I want to see it first. Well, and that's it too. Like it felt like it felt like it was a it was a couple of guys on an island trying to play that style. Like Braden Shen, we all remember in the Colorado Avalanche playoff series where he just dropped the gloves with Landeskog, right? Like for no reason he just drops them. They missed that that tenacity from David Perron in the playoffs because he was a guy who kind of gets under people's skin. You just didn't have a lot of guys that were jumping on board with that. Sunquist wasn't there, obviously. Barbashev was dinged up. Bennington was the one that was really trying to start the fire nonstop. Mm-hmm. You 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 need that 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 pissed off brand of hockey, and, and I do feel like Sod and Buchnevich match that. And the Sod thing, the the part that I'm excited with the Sod signing too, Lou is. I'm with you. I don't know why he signed for that cheap. The only thing I can kind of come to terms with is the fact he looked at the Blues and said, this is a real shot for me to win another cup. Whereas if I go somewhere else and sign more money, like we know the Devils were in on Brandon Saad. Maybe he gets the $9 million that Tatar just got for two years. But he got longer term, but he also is going to a team, yes, for less money, but also a team that he feels like you can compete in a playoff series with rather than go to a team that might still be in the building process of it all. Well, I remember I even asked him, you know, how much does that weigh the fact that, you know, you still got guys on this roster that know what it takes to win? And I mean, he won it twice with Chicago. I mean, those guys that have gotten a taste for it before, you know, they're they're going to look at the teams that are interested in them going, well, what did this team do? Oh, they haven't been to the playoffs in a while. Eh, I don't. I don't want any part. I don't think I want any part of that at this point in my career. Right. St. Louis Blues. Hey, they just won it two years ago. Hmm. And a lot of those guys are still here and have that understanding and 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 have that passion and know how to get there and not only get there but to raise it. Yeah. That there, there's some appeal there. And oh, by the way, does their does their style suit the way I play? Yeah. There's another check mark there. So I just think that maybe. And without knowing what's in his head, because nobody ever knows what's what's in a, a player's head when they make these decisions. Sure, money's going to play a part in it, but uh, you know, he starts checking off all the everything that he's looking for, and the St. Louis Blues f- fit the mold there. Hey, it's kind of hard to turn it down, even though again he got less money, right? But he got the term, you know, you know. And Doug Armstrong is known for these what four five year terms for players. Yep. He doesn't like to. Unless he has to, you know, unless guys are say in their early twenties, jump into that six, seven, eight year yeah. benchmark. So Krug, Falk, I think, Shen. yeah, I think this is, I think this is just a good all around fit for this hockey team. And I know there's some out there that are going to think that maybe the term is going to bite them in the end. But why? It's only going it, to, it's going to take them to what thirty three, thirty three. And yeah. that's the thing too with the term. I mean, look, you're not signing a thirty one year old to a five year contract. You're signing a twenty eight year old who's been in the league for a long time. I think he's been in the league since he was twenty twenty one yep. with the Blackhawks. But on top of it, I think when you sign guys to those long term deals, they have to match the identity of what you want. Like goal scoring, 
you know, sometimes that might drop off. Like a, a perfect example is Vladimir Tarasenko, the injuries that he's gone through. Like the goal scoring drops off. But what doesn't drop off is the style of play you do. I think that's where the Blues went with Braden Shen's contract. Like, yeah, six years doesn't look great when he's 34, 35, 36 years old. But he has all of the makings of a guy who can play third line role. Maybe not for the amount of money he's making, but he matches the Blues style. And I think that's what Brandon Saad does. And look, if that's what you had to do to get somebody like that, that's better than having to overpay somebody who's going to hurt you cap-wise down the road. Well, think about this too, Alex. I know we have you had mentioned earlier that you know chances are that you know Tyler Bozak is going to be moving on. Um, do you leave that door open? I think you have to. You know, it's a veteran I mean, presence that yeah. we've talked about before. What if you get closer to camp here and uh, he's still out there? And uh, again. It's it's all going to hit. All this hinges on Tarasenko. I'm sorry, it, it does. Space, everything yep. everything does because you got to figure Robert Thomas is going to take up the rest of the cap space that you have remaining. He's going to so. go over. I mean, I just don't see a scenario that Thomas only gets one and a half mil when Kairu got two point eight. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be close because you know Kairu gave you that production. So yeah. Robert Thomas, um, I think he took a little bit of a step back last year, I do. and yeah. I know injury injuries hurt him. Sure. Just when it seemed like there were a couple times, just when it seemed like he was getting ready to take off, he had an injury that set him back. But bottom line, I needed more from him in, what, his third year now in yeah. the league? So I needed more. So I don't know how much leverage he has as far as that's concerned. So I don't think he's going to get Jordan Cairo money, but one and a half, two million, somewhere in that range, you know, I, I think he's going to get that kind of a Doug Armstrong shorter term contract. Hey, yeah, that bridge go out, deal. Go out and prove yourself here and then we'll talk turkey when when it comes time for you to maybe uh get a little more of a lucrative deal. But do we really want to close the door completely on a Tyler Bozak if uh we get closer to a training camp here and uh the coaching staff, Doug Armstrong, management look and say I think we could still use a, a veteran guy here. Can we make it fit? Yeah. They haven't been able to do it yet, but if the door is still open, I'm not completely closing I mean, that you're one. looking at a guy who does match that identity to a T, and, and this will be the final one that we'll say on it, Lou. I, I mean, you look at the Central Division right now. We've talked about it. Colorado's a run-and-gun style of team. Winnipeg plays a little nasty, and they got better on their defensive side. Minnesota likes to play nasty. Now you got Arizona in, there, in your division with you that gave you fits last year. I do think you need that identity if you want to succeed in the Central this year because if you're going to try and – go off to the races and outskate some of these teams in your division, I think you'll get the floor wiped by you. Like I, I think you you won't you won't find yourself standing in a playoff spot at the end of the season because Minnesota's gonna be faster. Colorado definitely is going to be faster. Part of me feels like Minnesota and Dallas are going to be a little bit faster. But what you can compete with is what won you in the past and that's wearing those teams down with your identity. Well when you talk yeah and when we talked about that identity it was yeah, it was it was a mixed bag last year because you still wanted to carry that identity that helped you win the cup, but now you've got guys in here that play more of a rush style. Listen, Robert Thomas isn't gonna he's not gonna go into the corners and no. knock people off pucks. Jordan Kyrou's not gonna do that. They had Mike Hoffman here last year. He's not that kind of a player. So they had guys here that tried to play more of that rush style, and although they had the ability to do it, it's just when you're trying to mix both of those components together, not, it didn't always translate into what you not only wanted but needed. Yeah. And, I, and I think that was a, a lot of the problems that they had last year. And uh, you could see that against uh, teams that know that they can trade punches with you. If you want, If you want to go rush for rush against us, 
we'll show you. And you saw that in the playoff series against Colorado where they, you know, that's a team you have to keep out of the, yeah. you have to just keep them from freewheeling in the neutral couldn't zone. And they, yeah, and they couldn't do it. So, yeah. so I find an identity, find what you want to be. And I know Craig Berube had talked a number of times with us last year. Well, I think we can play both styles. I just don't think that for for the overall success of this hockey team, I don't think you can dip your toes in the water one way and then go the other way and just kind of go both ways. Figure out who you want to be and go with it. Yeah, and I think that's that speaks to what Doug Armstrong said at the end of the season with the media where he said, we all as a front office and coaching staff need to be on the same page when we approach this season. Rather than trying to pick both sides of the fence, you sit on one side and you push for that side. So we'll see if the Blues can do that. And still some plenty of offseason stuff's going on with the possible uh, Tarasenko move as well. He's Luke Korak. He's in for BK. We're going to have some fun on the next one. It's time to dive into the junk drawer next year on 101 ESPN. The boys are back, so bring out the Zamboni. Scores! Bring out the Zamboni! Your St. Louis Blues return to the ice September 25th in preseason action against the Wild. Keep it here for wall-to-wall Blues talk and reaction leading up to the 2021-2022 season. The wait is over! Your exclusive home for Blues hockey is 101 ESPN. All right, Stewie, I know I can refinance with the bag alone, but please tell me you can do it with purchases, too. You know what, Jamie? That's a game changer for us. You can get the bag alone for a purchase. That means if you borrow more than $200,000, no closing costs at all. We're going to pay the closing costs for you. That gives you more money to offer the seller and beat competitive bids. And more money to pay for your wife's appliances and the stuff that she needs. Everybody's happy. 314-324-4440. That's his cell phone number. Or you can Google the bag alone. And MLS number two two six. Hi, this is Brian with Velocity Home Buyers, and I buy houses cash. If you own a house and want to sell it fast at a fair price, call me at 314-202-5555. I can pay cash and close in as little as seven days. I buy houses in any condition and any price range in the St. Louis area. I'm a private real estate investor who buys several houses a month, and I want to buy more. I buy inherited houses divorce houses, behind in payment houses. I even buy my tenant won't pay me the rent houses. Do you own a house that needs updating, but you don't have the time or money for it? Great, because I love buying outdated houses. I buy vacant houses, job relocation houses, and foreclosure houses. If you own a house and want to sell it fast, call me at 314-202-5555. That's 314 314- Two zero two fifty five fifty five. Content on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BOS. You work hard for your money. Now it's time to put that money to work. Make the bold move to BOS and let their banking experts help you reach your financial goals. Get started today at bankwithbos.com. Member FDIC. 101 ESPN is a proud sponsor of this year's Jason Tatum Basketball Pro Camp in St. Louis. Kids in grades 1 through 12 can join all-star forward Jason Tatum on September 18th and 19th at Chaminade College Prep School. Jason will be on site and joined by area coaches to provide small group instruction on basketball fundamentals and fun. It's the Jason Tatum Basketball Pro Camp. Get all the details now at 101ESPN.com. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
get into the junk drawer. And for those of you that don't know what this is, which Lou's probably sitting here going, what the hell are you guys talking about a junk drawer right now? We like to just get into some random stories around the news world. Not really newsworthy. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's just randomness, talk Lou. Talk sports. Yeah, we get a lot of texts that say talk sports. Nobody cares. Like Tanner talked about his vacation a couple of months ago. Oh, and so negative. You think he, people would care? People called the front office and like, oh, get, these, get these well, idiots you, off the air. Get these asshats off the air. I mean, assets off the air. That's what they called us. Anyway, T-Bone, what do you got for the junk drawer today? All right. So Disney always making the new and bad renovation. You know, they're always adding rides, adding a new Whoa, theme park why or something. are they bad? Well, no, they just no. did the Marvel one. That's probably no, cool. No. Okay, I phrased that wrong. Anyway. Jerk. Disney has a, you know, they own Star Wars. And I know Ferrario's not a Star Wars guy. Oh. Lou, are you a Star Wars guy? Um... I plead the fifth on this one. Oh. He doesn't want to go through the pain. Lou, it's okay no, if you think I, it's... I say that because, should I admit on air that, that I haven't, haven't seen, seen all of the Star oh, Wars don't. movies? No, that's fine. I've admitted that on air, Lou. Oh, I think I've only seen like two or three of them. And Ferrari I hate trashes them. them so oh, I hate maybe, them. Maybe don't do that. But It's not as bad as Lord of the Rings. Like, Lord of the Rings is like I don't the even know how many, are, how many are there. Of Star Wars? Yeah. Nine. Okay. Well, wait. Uh, come on. There's like so many freaking spin-offs of it. Mike Ryder's <laughs> not in there. Mike Ryder loves Star Wars. He could tell us, but I've it, seen two or three. I saw the original three, and then I saw the next three, and then after the next three, I'm like, yeah, these suck. I'm done. Yeah. But so the, Disney is opening up a Star Wars hotel, and it's supposed to be this. You, you basically are going to be there. You you get your reservations. You stay for two nights, and you get encapsulated in this Star Wars universe. They've got their characters walking around and all that. Now. They price this thing at the same thing as they do at a essential cruise ship for Disney. Six thousand dollars to stay at a hotel for two nights. How much? Six thousand dollars to stay for two nights, and this opens in spring two thousand twenty-two. I'm sorry, but I'm not playing. I'm not paying six thousand dollars to stay anywhere for two nights. That's what I'm thinking. And like a cruise, you go, you explore. You're out on the ocean. You get all the different sights. Yeah, cruises suck too. You wow. Do you get a discount if you play the part, like walk into C3PO or something or what? <laughs> Don't wow. do that because then it gets even weirder at the hotel. You walked in, everyone's dressed up as Darth Vader. Well, what the hell's going on in here? Wow. I, I just can't imagine someone saying, We're going on vacation. Oh yeah, what, what do you want to do? I want to go to the Star Wars. So well, that sounds well, good. Is Six thousand dollars. This is Disney World or Disneyland? California or Florida? Uh this it is Sounds like a California one. I think it is Disneyland. So here's the thing about it though. Like and I don't know if you guys have done Disney World or Disneyland. Like six thousand dollars is just the hotel. Like you're still paying probably another like I don't know three to five thousand dollars to get oh, sorry, to where it's you're Disney going. World. Oh yeah, that's mm. even more. So you're paying probably I don't know what a couple of thousand dollars to get into the parks for a couple of days, food, flight. Six thousand dollars for a hotel is more than what you'll pay for the entirety of your trip. It's my yearly salary. <laughs> Oops. It's okay. It's okay, Lou. You're talking to radio guys. Us too. Us too with this one. Yikes. I don't, uh, there, yeah, there'd be no way I'd be staying at a Star no. I don't know what I would pay $6,000 for at a hotel, but it definitely wouldn't be a Star Wars one. Yeah, I don't know if there's a themed hotel that I would do for $6,000. I mean, I could think of a themed one for you, but I don't know if you'd like it very much. I'm not even going to comment. How much do you guys grocery shop? How often? Weekly? You probably even Once don't. Once every Tanner. two weeks. No, Once I do. I do. Your grandma Calm down does over for there. you, right? No, I, they don't eat good food. Uh, that's true. Well, Luke. when you're when you're living solo, it's uh, you're nonstop. Ah, uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> you try to get by with whatever yeah, you can. Yeah, I try to get by with whatever I can. How, how, how about that? Oh. I, I'd say maybe twice a month. Maybe that sounds about right. 
Have you ever shopped at Aldi's? Maybe. I don't remember. Probably not. You know Aldi's, right? Like yeah. A-L-D-U-I. Yeah. Well, apparently we've all been pronouncing the name wrong. Like J-Hap and J-A-Hap? Like that? It's J-A-Hap. That's how it's pronounced. Right. But apparently like Aldi wrong. is incorrect. It is, should be considered and called Aldi. Really? Okay. I think I had heard that before, actually. There, there is no possible way. Like, I have been going here for, I don't know, four or five years now since I've got my own house and gotten married. I have always called it Aldi. And I know it's spelled Aldi, but like, who goes to Aldi? Right. I've, Aldi not, sounds like algae. I'm not going to go and say, hi, guys, let's go to Aldi. <laughs> Did you guys get your milk at Aldi? You know, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, let's, let's all go to Aldi and go grocery shop. Like, that yeah. makes no sense to me. That sounds, maybe it's one of those, uh, what's that effect called? Is it the man? Oh, I know what you're talking Where about. It's, like, it's something that we all think is right, and it turns out it's wrong, like Fruit Loops. The way we think we spell it's wrong. Well, Fruit Loops is spelled correctly, actually. No. Yeah. Spell it. Fruit Loops. Spell it. What do you mean? Spell, spell it. it. This it's... sounds like a trick question now. I, I'm I scared. Uh, is it not spelled <laughs> F-R-U-I-T-L-O-O-P? It's spelled Fruit Loop. Fruit Loops. Tanner, you're scared. I don't know what yeah, it is. You're freaking me Mandela out, Tanner. Mandela effect. The Mandela, Mandela effect. effect. That's right. Wait, What's so your... spell Fruit Loops again? It's spelled fruit like a fruit, loop like a loop. That's wrong. It's spelled fruit, F-R-O-O-T-L-O-O-P-S. Really? Uh, yes. I did not know that. Okay, well, Wait you have just How many O's? Did you say three O's? Sorry, F- two O's. Okay. F- okay. <laughs> it's Fruit Loops, yeah. apparently. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, Aldi, so it's spelled A-L-D-I, and it's pronounced Aldi. So are we supposed to change the pronunciation of Walmart now? Is I it should be not. called Walmart. What? That makes no sense. What are you talking about? A-L is pronounced Aldi. So W-A-L should be pronounced Walmart. What? Now, what are you? Come on. Just going off of this right now. So, yeah, anytime you shop at Aldi's, boys, it's now considered Aldi instead of Aldi. I'll have to remember that. Just remember that next time I you go grocery shopping. Remember how to spell Fruit Loops. That actually really bothers the hell out of There's me. There's a lot that of those. One. That that sounds like one of these uh, scenarios, actually. The Mandela effect. Yeah, the Mandela effect. That's what everyone's t- uh, texting in on. I this told one. you that. What do you mean? Everyone texts in. I told you what it was. <laughs> Someone said when you don't, when you live in your uh, parents' basement, t- like Tanner, you don't grocery shop. It's not true. Is that oh. true, Timo? No. I, also, I someone says you stuff. should check out the uh, the Bunny Ranch as a hotel to stay in when you go to Vegas. I know what that one is. <laughs> it's closed down now, Timon. Uh-huh. It's a little too soon on that Sad. one. Well, Lou Ball, that's going to wrap it up for an hour of you in studio with wow. us, my man. That's it. It, goes, it flies by, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Man. Next, if you want to do my job, I'll go. Yeah, home. you could run the board for T-Bone if you no, like. No, that's all right. I'll, uh, no. I'm going to go out and enjoy this August day. You've done better than... Training camps in six weeks. Remember that. That means like cold weather is coming in I know. 12 weeks. We're Depressing. back to wintertime, boys. Nice. Yeah. But a Stanley Cup championship is what? Like 10 months away? Maybe there'll be some... Extra additions by the time we get going. There should be. You, you would think so. Well, but, maybe you know. maybe when you leave, there might be some terrorist breaking I'm just impressed there. that you didn't put me on the spot and say, all right, what's your lineup opening night right now? So I, I appreciate that. Lou, what's your lineup <laughs> right now? <laughs> hey, buddy, thank you so much for you stopping in today. I appreciate it. Again, Thanks, as always, make sure you are following Lou Korak on Twitter. It's at LKorak10. Of course, phenomenal work covering the blues for NHL.com. We'll take a break and come back. Is there a necessary upgrade for the Cardinals this offseason? Is it pitching or is it offense? We'll dive into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Don't forget, you can join me this Friday at 4 o'clock World of Outlaw Sprint Car Series in Peevely, Missouri, my neck of the woods. Boogity, 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 boys. Let's go racing. No? What was that? That was the famous uh, thing by what's-his-name. You don't even know his name. How can you say it's a famous thing by that what's-his-name? It's famous. I'm hoping the text no, line's going to help out. It's terrible. High-speed sprint cars and the greatest show on dirt, and I promise none of what Tanner just did on the air. The Outlaws take on the Federated Auto Parts Raceway and the most challenging race on tour, the Ironman 55. Make sure you get in on the action this Friday with me at the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series. That's tomorrow at 4. Get all the details over at 101ESPN.com. A big thank you to Lou Korak and Katie Wu for being in studio with us for the last two hours. We'll have Gerald Perry joining us, former Cardinal and former Brave. He's going to join us coming up in our next segment. But the Cardinals fall to the Braves last night. They, they dropped the series. They did. They fell. They fell late. Mm. They, yeah, they, they, they had the lead. Did. Then the ball fell to the field. And the Braves scored more runs. That's how the game turned out. Bader tackled Carlson, but it was fine. Bader did tackle Carlson. But look, the game, as much as you can talk about the bullpen giving up the runs, you have to talk about the offense. You got three runs from Nolan Arenado in the beginning of the game. You had multiple opportunities with runners in scoring position. I believe they went two for eight last night with runners in scoring position, and you were unable to score those runs. For me, offense is a big concern right now for the rest of this push. Our Nolan Arenado kind of echoed some of that after the loss last night. Yeah, after that first inning, we didn't really t- um, tack on any more runs after that. You know, it's always great to score early and have the lead, but at the same time, when you're facing a good team like the Braves, you know, it probably doesn't affect them as much because um, there's just so much game left, and they know it. And uh, we knew it, too. And it's just uh, so we knew we had to tack on, but, you know, it's, it's not really a killer. It's just a good feeling to have a lead early. But like I said, there's just so much game left. You know, and I think they're, they're they're lacking some of the, and I hate to compare baseball and hockey, but they are lacking some of the Doug Armstrong mentality, T-Bone, of, you know, jam the knife into the brain and kill the opponent when you have the opportunity to. And look, they were up 3 nothing in the first. Drew Smiley was on the mound, and they should have been able to find, find a way to beat Drew Smiley. Yeah, he's really good. No, he's not. He's not good at all. But look, I guess I shouldn't say at all. He did win his five last five last starts. But... You had runners at second and third with two outs in the third inning. You had the double steal late in the game where you had already tied things up. You had the opportunities to kill off the opponent and you didn't take advantage of it. So as much as we can talk about the pitching, offense is a concern right now for me. I mean, you got a 22nd batting average in Major League Baseball, 24th in home runs, 24th in on-base percentage, 24th in slugging, 25th in OPS, 26th in runs scored. You're at the bottom five of the league in pretty much every offensive category. If this team wants a turnaround, they're going to have to get a lot more from their offense, more than pitching, in my opinion. Yeah, the offense is a concern, and I look at those numbers, and that is a problem. But I think the pitching is going to be the thing that kind of determines the Cardinals' fate moving forward. Because I look at the Cardinals' lineup, and we've seen guys get going at just different times this year. Goldie's been hot of late. Bader's been playing well since he's come off the IL. He's kind of cooled off a little bit, but he's still playing well. His OPS leads the team uh, since the All-Star break, I'm pretty sure. You've got Tyler O'Neill that we've seen the spurts from. Yachty is starting to play a little bit better as well. We've Arnado was hot early in the season. He hasn't gotten back to that yet. So I look at the lineup, and it's not so much of 
yes, I agree. The lineup is a bit of a concern, but we've seen each guy get hot. It's just a matter of will they get it going at the right time. I think Tyler O'Neill's about to break out. He's looked really good in these mm-hmm. first two games. Goldie is playing better. I think Arnato's last night game, I think that was a home run that snapped. I think it was like 20-game streak or something along those lines of a home run. So Arnato, I think, is getting ready to break out as well. So if you can get three guys going, you're fine. My biggest thing is going to be the pitching because as much as we talked about John Lester bouncing back from that rough first inning in his Cardinals debut on Tuesday, you lost that game in the first inning. That five-run first inning basically was the end. And you can say, well, the Cardinals' office needs to do more to help him. You give up five runs, that that is immediately one of those, oh, here we go, this one's lost. And I look at the pitching, and they're getting healthier, and I think it's going to improve. But when they were when they had Jack Flaherty, and the pitching staff was pretty much healthy, KK was in and out because of his back, and he didn't pitch as well, they were above 500 team. They were leading the National League Central. We kind of talked about it in questions and answers about, well, what happens if Flaherty and uh, Michaelis are healthy all year? Well, I don't think you have that June month that you have. And I think part of that tailed onto the pitching. Yeah, the offense struggled, but they were being asked to carry the load. Okay, the pitching's not playing well. We need you guys to go out there and overperform. That way that the we can make up for that. I, I think it's on the pitching. When Flaherty comes back, Michaelis comes back, if these guys can go five to six innings, you can kind of stretch out the big three. You're going to have to push the big three down in the final stretch to get into this playoff run because you don't really have anybody else that you really trust. Maybe Helsley, but we saw him give up a two-run shot last night. If the pitching can get back to what it was with a healthy Jack Flaherty, now we're getting a healthy Miles Michaelis. KK, he's a little bit fatigued. That's why they skipped him in his last start. If he can get back to that four-start stretch where he was pitching six innings and all of those and had four straight quality starts then this Cardinals team can start to make that push. And last night, four runs. If the Cardinals pitch well, to me, you win that game. Yeah, but you said something there that's the difference between a team that, that is close to a playoff spot and a team that has dug a really deep hole for themselves. And you said five runs scored, the Cardinals were basically out of it. Look, I mean, I know it's a two-run differential, but last night the Cardinals scored three runs in the first inning off of Drew Smiley, and look what happened. The Braves kept fighting their way back. And I'm not saying the Cardinals have lost that fight because they haven't. I mean, look, technically they did score another run. They evened things up with that double steal. They play aggressive, but you just don't have those those clutch opportunities in games like other teams find ways to get through. And I do think there's a narrative that needs to go away. Someone from the... Uh, where was it on the Milwaukee Brewers? I saw it too, where you look at the Milwaukee Brewers yeah, offense not pitching From well. the 6-3-6, I agree with Tanner. Look at the Brewers offense compared to their pitching. Look, I think there's something that needs to be cleared up. Are the Milwaukee Brewers offense incredible? No. But they've scored 100 more runs than what the Cardinals have in two extra games. You had 100 runs to the Cardinals season. I think you're talking about five more wins. And those five wins put you in contention with the NL Central and the wild card race. The Milwaukee Brewers don't have an offense like the Toronto Blue Jays or the Houston Astros or the Cincinnati Reds, but they have clutch hitters in clutch situations. And I think that's where that hundred run differentials at the Cardinals are missing that, that clutch performance from their offense in the middle of their lineup. So with that being said, the fast lane had an interesting conversation last or yesterday talking about a big move in the offseason to shake things up. Take a listen. When you have O'Neal and you have Bader uh, has you know done what he's done recently, I love seeing it. I love the trajectory, and I think that we're just still scraping the surface of Dylan Carlson. I think he's going to get better and better. Does that have to be your outfield next year, or are you willing to flip a piece? 
Like, I, would you flip an O'Neal? Would, would you flip a Bader? Like, could depending you, on what I'm getting, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that you have to end up getting creative next year. How how creative do you think that you can be this offseason? Because to your larger point, unless you're you're changing philosophies, right? You bring in a new voice, and maybe that ends up working for you. They told you they're not doing that. Like that part of it isn't happening. So you have these pieces. How do you get the most out of it? I think the craziest thing to do is come in next year and say this year will be different. Kind of same thing we talked about with the pitching staff. Come in and say, oh, we think we have depth. We didn't add anything, but we think that these guys are going to be healthy. You can't do that either. How creative and how aggressive will they be this offseason? I think that's a realistic question you have to ask that BT's alluding to there. Like, you can't come back this upcoming season and consider yourself a team that's going to push for a World Series, but also bring back the same roster. You got $60 million before all of the arbitration and everything comes into play coming off of the books. You do have to look at your internal roster and say, okay, Maybe we have to make some type of big move to offset some of the the similarities that continue to appear every season. And for me, T-Bone, I think it comes to the point where you ask your question, okay, who's really untouchable on this Cardinals roster? Because if you do have to pull off a move this upcoming season, it's not going to be trading one of your top prospects because I believe Mo looks at that and says they're a piece of our future in terms of being a better team. But your current roster, if you look at it right now and say, who on this roster is a great piece for us, but they need to move? And I know a lot of people are going to text in and say Paul DeYoung. Great, great piece that can help you going forward. Not so much that you want, you're willing to give them up, but if you have to to get a piece that you think upgrades you significantly, that's kind of what we're looking at. Exactly. So, I mean, you look at this roster, and for me, I think you look at a couple of untouchables. I think you look at Nolan Arenado. He's not going anywhere. Paul Agreed. Goldschmidt, not going anywhere. Agreed. Dylan Carlson, not going anywhere. And then Jack Flaherty, I would say you probably view not going anywhere. But after that, I don't know if I would consider anybody untouchable on this team anymore. I'm with you. I might throw Reyes. The more I thought about this leading up to this segment, I think I would throw Reyes into that uh, conversation just because I want to see of what his potential is as a starter. We've seen how good he is out of the bullpen. We've talked about we want to see his stuff as a starting pitcher. But So I would add Reyes into that mix. But, you know, BT mentioned a point there in that cut about – does this have to be? Does Bader and O'Neill have to be a part of the starting outfield next year? I I think they are going to be. I don't see the Cardinals moving them because they've really kind of banked in on this outfield, getting keeping a Rosarena. That's not what BT was alluding to. Oh, we're going to trade. You got to trade one of those two. No, but if you had, if you could move someone, Bader or O'Neill, who have value, are a little bit cost controlled for another year or two, for maybe a better offensive upgrade. Maybe you get a thirty home run hitter that's out in left field or maybe you get a 30 home run hitter on the infield in the middle of the infield, then maybe you start to consider making that move because I'm with you. Some of those top prospects, the Cardinals aren't going to move. And then you start looking at some of the guys that are on your big league roster. All right, who has value that, sure, it's going to hurt to get rid of them, but we're getting rid of them to go get this big upgrade that, again, we're not throwing out any names of the upgrade because it's, it's you don't know who it is yet. You don't know who it is yet, but let, let's throw out uh, an example, Shane Bieber in Cleveland. Are you willing to part with maybe an outfielder to go add to pitching, or are you willing to part with one of your young relievers and Gallegos to go add a big offensive bat that maybe plays up the middle? I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's one that the Cardinals are really going to have to have because you can't come back next year and say, well, we're healthy pitching-wise, so we're going to be better because I'm with BT. 
You did that this year, and it hasn't panned out. You didn't have the depth that you thought. And offensively, you can't go into the air and say, ah, well, we think Paul Young is going to bounce back. We think Tommy Edmonds is going to be a little bit better this year. you've done that the last two years, and it hasn't worked out. You've done that, and it hasn't worked out. So that's why I think that there's only about five guys untouchable on the big league roster. Otherwise, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, some of the other guys, Tommy Edmond, he has a lot of control, so probably not him either. But you look at the big league roster, and you say, if we have to part with somebody to go get that person, that one guy that we think puts us over the top, you have to make that move. Well, and you're going to have to make the move on guys that you don't want to move on from because that's how you upgrade. You're going to have to trade somebody that you don't want to move if you're going to get something that's going to make you better. Is it an outfielder spot? Look, to upgrade the offense, it's pretty simple. You go spend $150, $200 million on a shortstop, but they might not be willing to do that this upcoming season. So the alternative to that is sending some type of trade, some type of trade waves out into the market once offseason hits and say, okay, we need to shake things up a little bit. Maybe it is moving a Tyler O'Neill who you're really high on, but you're getting something back in return in terms of shortstop or second base that makes you a better team. Regardless of what that is, you, I'm with BT on this. You can't come back with the same roster and say, okay, we're going to compete, even if you are adding in some of these top prospects, because that's not going to put you on the level of the teams that are, are competing for a World Series. Basically, you're back into that rubber band mode for the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's talk offense with a former Major League Baseball hitting coach. And, of course, we'll talk with the former Cardinal and Braves outfielder, Gerald Perry. He's going to join us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. segment we will have a bet it or forget it so make sure you send those over to the air comfort service text line at 65780 bet it or forget it coming up in about 15 minutes or so but don't forget former st louis ram isaac bruce he is finally headed to his induction ceremony as a member of the pro football hall of fame 2020 class with that enshrinement the 2020 class set to take place this Saturday, Carriker and Smallman, they are headed to Canton to broadcast live tomorrow morning for a special expanded show from 7 to 11 a.m. You can tune in Friday morning to hear Randy and Michelle speak to the man himself, Isaac Bruce, along with several other special guests. Carriker and Smallman live from Canton this Friday morning. It's brought to you by Schnooks and Twin Peaks. So as a reminder, Danny Mac show won't take place tomorrow. Carriker and Smallman are going to be extended one extra hour. And then Randy will join us on BK and Ferrario from Canton. He'll join the fast lane from Canton as well. So a big time broadcast coming up tomorrow for Isaac Bruce induction ceremony into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Also, congrats to Joe Buck. He's headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton as well. We'll get on the line with Gerald Perry momentarily. 13-year Major League Baseball career. Played five seasons with the Cardinals from 91 to 95. Played seven seasons with the Braves from 83 to 89. He's also a former Major League Baseball hitting coach with the Mariners, the Pirates, the Athletics, and and the Chicago Cubs. Gerald Perry was with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. Gerald, it is a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? We are doing fan. We're doing fantastic. Thanks so much for taking some time and doing this today. Let's start with just your playing time with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's always fun to talk with a former Cardinal to get his thoughts on playing in St. Louis, playing in front of the Cardinals fan base, and that was at the end of your Cardinals playing career. Oh yeah, no doubt. It, it was. It was. Um, it was a uh, awesome experience. Um, I 
always loved coming there and playing against the Cardinals. I loved the atmosphere and had a chance to um, to um, be a part of it and and, um, and be on board with the Cardinals for five years. What was the difference, Gerald, between playing against the Cardinals because you went up against them during the Whitey Ball era in the 80s and then you transition into being a part of the Cardinals once it's in the early 90s? Well, it was a lot of talent. Um, it was nerve-wracking playing against them um, in the '80s when I was with the Braves, and and um, and just just um, I mean, just the you would get up tight playing against them. Everybody was running and stealing bases, <laughs> and pitches stepping off and throwing over, and calling timeout, and pitching coaches coming out. They just they just um, they just caused a lot of problems, and and. Um, I mean, uh, with the with the whole defense, and then offensively, um, I know um, the defense was outstanding too. Where you look out there, and and especially around uh, in the infield, um, the outfielders went and got it with um, with um, Willie McGee and and Ben Slyke and and um, Vince Coleman and those guys in the outfield. They would catch everything, but um, also in the infield, you don't you definitely don't want to hit anything near a shortstop. Or second base, or second base, um, or or TP at three, at um, third base either. So it was. I mean, it was. It, it was. They had. A, they put together a good a good team. Um, Whitey Whitey did a heck of a job putting that team together, and he let those guys play. Uh, and, I, I, and and they, and they they looked like they had fun out there, and they just. They just they just made it nerve wracking for their opponents. I can only imagine what that approach is for a young player at the plate against a team like that. I mean, you just went through it, Gerald. Like, if you're sitting there in the batter's box and you're thinking, okay, well, I can't hit it to short because I got Nazi to deal with, and well, you can't really try and find a spot in the outfield because you got the speed of Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. I mean, the mental games that probably were played against the Whitey Ball era had to just be a nauseating for a young player, correct? Oh yeah, it was it was nerve wracking. It was definitely nerve wracking. You had to you had to sit down and calm your nerve after the game, and then and, and no doubt about, and and then I mean with everything as fast as as the team was, um, you know everything moved fast on the Astro turf too, <laughs> and so that, that even made it worse and, and that kind of stuff. And and like I said, you. As a pitcher, I could only imagine you 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 um stepping off, you you um trying throwing over and pitching out and all of that stuff, and then to, by by the time you went through Vince Coleman and 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 Ozzie Smith and and TP and those guys and Tommy Herr and and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now Jack Clark is standing up at the plate, and that was that was even more wreck, um, nerve wrecking. He didn't have the speed like them, but he made up for it with all of his power. That's for, for sure. Gerald Tanner Hendrickson here. I'm curious when you played in St. Louis, you were known very well for being a guy that could come off the bench and come up with some hits. in In 1993, you you tied the Cardinal single season record for uh, 24 pinch hits. In '95, you became the all time pinch hit leader for the Cardinals with uh, your 70th pinch hit in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. This year, the Cardinals we've seen them struggle with guys coming off the bench and kind of veterans playing in that role. What, how difficult is it to come off the bench and make sure you're ready to uh, come into a game? You're, you haven't been really involved in it. You're watching it from the dugout, and then all of a sudden you get your number called and you have to step up to a plate and possibly in a big s- scenario. 
Well, Tanner, that that um that was an, an adjustment because when I when I was in Atlanta, I I would pinch hit and and did and did pretty good. But but you know um the key at the time when I was in Atlanta, I was younger and and then and then I was playing more. And but when you when you when it, when you um because I watched the, I watched the game last night and I saw um, Carpenter come up and that kind of stuff. And and one one thing I had to do is is um. Is I would I would I would have to I couldn't sit down and just be talking and, and not really be into the game. I had to sit down and put myself in different situations, and and each situation that might come up, I'll go. I would have to say like I would in my mind I was in that situation, and, and instead of just sitting around and shooting the breeze and that kind of stuff and not really being into the game and focusing the game. Um, it didn't work that way for me, and I and that's what I tried to um, to tell guys when I was a hitting coach, and 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 when I was with St. Um, St. Louis too, I used to tell guys, hey, we you you need to be focused on the game, and you need to be ready, and not and uh, and not let um Joe Torrey, who was my, who was my manager most of my career, catch you off guard and not be ready. You have your helmet, your bat. And everything, and 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 you already stretch and loose and that kind of stuff. And and what you would what you would do is um what I would do is is like when we're on defense, um like after a certain inning, then I would start coming coming inside and taking some practice swing and stretching and and just getting get my mind um just focusing on on um on the game and that kind of stuff. And and um and and usually with me it was. It was a start. I would, when I would pinch it, it would be against a starter who was doing well, um, or 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 maybe the closer. So that wasn't that wasn't um, uh, uh, really um, a job that most people are not going to be looking forward to um, either. And then, but we did, I, one thing I I would say, the Cardinals when I when I was there and played against them, I mean you had um, Bruce Suter. When I came up and was playing against them, and then, and then um, when I was there, Lee Smith was there. So you, <laughs> you did that. You had a, you had a, you, those two Hall of Fame closers that the Cardinals had during that time, and 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 Ken Daly and and um, Todd Warrell and those guys wasn't wasn't no. Um, I want to I want to stay in the mindset of a player, Gerald. And again, we're talking with former Cardinals outfielder, former Braves outfielder and first baseman as well. Gerald Perry on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. So from a player's perspective, Gerald, when you have runners in scoring position, does it take a different mindset to come up in a clutch situation rather than just coming off of the bench or in the middle of a game where there's nobody on base? Oh yeah, um, definitely. You, you, um, I, well, I always, I always took pride in, um, trying to, well, hopefully if I was going to pinch it, um, definitely I wanted guys on base because that, I mean, that got the adrenaline going and had you more focused, um, any, um, any way it goes. But to be honest, I mean, whether somebody on base or not, it's still a tough job. And one, one thing I used to, I used to tell myself as a pinch hitter, um, I didn't coming off of the bench. I did not want to get the count to zero and two, and um, and being behind like that behind the pitcher, and had not swung the bat yet. And because <laughs> I mean, you really don't know what your swing's going to be like. And and I used to say, you know what? If I see it coming in, if I I'm looking at the hard fastball, 
If I see a fastball coming and it's close, I am taking a, um, um, a big rip at it. And then if I foul it off or not put it in play hard somewhere, um, at least I'm loose after that because you really don't know what your swing's going to be like from day to day if you you know, if you hadn't been in a game the whole game and then all of a sudden it's the, um, it's the eighth or ninth inning and, and you're in the game. Gerald, I want to go to you. You were a hitting coach as well after your playing career. I'm curious, when you're the hitting coach and there's a bit of a offensive struggle, maybe the team's going through a bit of a rut, or maybe it's just one guy that is going through a tough time. As a hitting coach, what was your approach in trying to help get that guy or get the team kind of back to where things had been or get them back to playing at their best ability at the plate? Well, I I try to get guys to work with their um to, to um, learn their strength, to be honest, and and um, you know whether you're a high ball hitter, or a low ball hitter, or you know off speed hitter, or, or or whatever, you maybe you like the ball in or you like it away, but um, try to try to build on your strength and 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 that sort of thing, and and just um, just just not 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 make the game bigger really um, than it really is. And just um and and to be honest, just go out there and try to have fun. I I used to tell guys all the time, just think about it like like I used to try to think about it like when my brother and me used to go in the in the backyard and throw the ball up against the house. But we used to um, always play. We always try to strike the other one out. So we call it strong. Let's let's go play strikeout. And then you, I mean, you you throw into the other one hard as as you can, and the and the, the hitter. As long as he don't strike out, he just keep hitting. So you have to figure out a way to strike him out. And then as a hitter, you just figure out a way not to strike out, to be honest. So, Gerald, Gerald, it's been so. an honor to get to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day today and hopping on with us to talk a little Cardinals and Braves in your playing career. Uh, always appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Okay, and and th- um, thank you guys for having me too. And my heart, my heart went out because um, all all winter um, with with all like the likes of Gibby and and um, and Lou Brock and and those guys, and and we got and here and we got hit pretty hard too with with yeah. our casualties with Hall of Famers and Hank Aaron and Phil Necro and Don Sutton, and I mean just to go on and on. So yeah, um, but. But God bless everyone, and, and thank you, thank you guys for having me. Awesome, thank you so much, Gerald, and much appreciated. Yeah, because of course a lot of Hall of Famers, and of course people that uh, played with Gerald, whether teammates or after his uh, or after their playing career and during Gerald's playing career. Of course, speaking of Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, and uh, Hank Aaron with the Atlanta Braves. Again, Gerald Perry, longtime outfielder and first baseman for the Cardinals and Braves, and an interesting perspective too, talking about the hitting approach, uh, also hitting the approach off of the bench and I think it's interesting too because you're speaking of the bench players for the Cardinals which has been a area that has lacked for this team for a long period of time and he's talking about being locked into the game and coming up with big situations and unfortunately kind of mentioned that with you Tanner a little bit ago it just seems the team's missing those clutch hitters in certain situations. So uh, maybe they can find a way through it, but definitely an area that will definitely are uh, definitely an area that should be upgraded this upcoming off season. Air comfort service text line six, five, seven, eight. Oh, more likely to happen. We'll get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on one one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Not gonna do it there. Ooh. Oh my god. Awful. Well, that song and BKR T-Bone's terrible singing means it's time for bet it or forget it. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Wait, this person said more likely to happen. It's the same person who keeps texting in the same scenario, so I'll flip their more likely to happen to a bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Tanner. Trevor Story plays more games next season than Yadier Molina for the Cardinals. Uh, Forget it, because Trevor Story's not going to be wearing a Cardinal uniform, so... Big old donut for Pretty confident Trevor's on that, story. Huh? Yeah. Katie was the one that said earlier that that one makes the most sense. It makes the most sense. I just because the story on story. Yeah, it's oh, a good dad joke. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think I'm not going to buy into this idea that the Cardinals are willing to have three twenty million dollar guys on their infield until I start to hear some some sort of sign that they're going to do that. Whether that's a comment from one of the Dewitts or that's a comment from Mo or Gersh. Right now, I just don't see the Cardinals doing that. I think they are going to bring back Yachty, especially since he's open to doing it. Have him bridge that gap to Herrera, help him develop Herrera and Kisner. So I will say forget it because I think Yachty will play more games than Story. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I I think Yachty will be back next year. I think it makes perfect sense that Yachty is bridging that gap to Yvonne Herrera in 2023. Uh, I don't know what that means for Andrew Kisner, but I do see Yachty as a piece of this team in 2022 and I, do i like would i like to believe that trevor story would be a cardinal next year yes but i think there are other names that match the team more than trevor story if that makes sense like trevor story is the prototypical power hitter and i think you need more of a contact guy on top of power a Corey seager a carlos correa in this lineup more than anything cardinals are in desperate need of a legitimate leadoff hitter now maybe carlson's that but i lead him or more a two-hole hitter yeah one or the other i i still think even if you want a good two-hole hitter you still need a leadoff guy yeah you so, need you need an, an on-base percentage and an ops machine right now what you, what you really need is you need that guy that's going to become a great leadoff hitter up at the top of the order and then someone that you feel very confident in that can be behind and yeah. protect Arnado and Goldie. because i think you have i think you have five hole hitters trevor tyler o'neill's a, a five hole hitter for you you need somebody who can hit in the two spot that gives you confidence or the leadoff spot that gives you confidence. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, bet it or forget it. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Bet it or forget it from the 618. At least one of Lester or Hap will be re-signed this offseason by the Cardinals. Bet it or forget it. I'm going to forget it. These guys were brought in just to eat innings till Flaherty Michaels got back. I... I don't think that there was ever a real plan to say, hey, let's go get a guy with a 6.9 ERA and we'll get him. And then if he pitches well, we'll bring him back. If he pitches well, maybe they will. But I, I think it was just, all right, let's 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 make a move. Let's try and get Oviedo and Woodford down to the minors, get some more seasoning on them, which they did. And that's what this deal accomplished. I don't think you bring back either one of these guys. You're gonna If you're going to go sign a starting pitcher, you're probably going to want a guy that's a solid 2-3 starter and probably gonna have to pay ten to twenty or ten million dollars for him, maybe. But I, I don't think you bring back John Lester, Jay Happ. Thirty-eight years old for Jay Happ, thirty-seven years old for John Lester. John Lester's last few seasons, I mean, uh, sixty-one innings in two thousand and twenty. This year, in total, he's thrown eighty innings. Twenty nineteen, he threw one hundred and seventy-one innings, a four point four six ERA. Not horrible. If I were to bring one back, I might look at Jay Happ as a bullpen arm for you, but I'm going to forget this one because I don't see 
I don't see where these guys slot in for you next season, mostly because you know what your rotation looks like in terms of full health. Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, you got Dakota Hudson, Adam Wainwright returns. Is Levator oh, a part of it? Are you going with, Kate, or with Wayno returning? Oh, yeah. If, if Yachty's coming back, Wayno's coming back. You're going to go one last ride together. And then um, you got the question of is Reyes there? Is Reyes there? Some of those, is uh, Levator or Thompson ready for that? Oviedo, or do you go Woodford. out? Or do you go out and sign? Yeah, Oviedo's a really good one if he has a good rest of the season. Or do you go out and look in the free agent market? I just don't know if Jay Happ and John Lester are those guys that make the most sense for you. So I'll forget this one as well. Uh, better to forget it from the three one four. Blues will have three 20 goal scores. Ne- oh, I'm sorry, five 20 goal scores next season. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna bet this one. Really? Five 20 goal scores. I'm gonna bet this one. Who's your five goal scores? Ryan then? O'Reilly, of course. Okay. David Perron, of course. That's two. Sod and Buchnevich for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. The fifth one, I think Jordan Cairo is going to get there. I think Jordan Cairo becomes a 20-goal tw- a scorer for this team. I mean, he had, what, 14 in a shortened season? But also remember that he was juggled around in line combinations a lot. He played on the right side, dropped to the third line, played on the left side with the first line, played with Tarasenko. I think if he has a solidified spot, you're looking at a guy who can hit 20 goals. And there's a couple of others that might be able to touch it, but I'm going to bet this one. I think they hit, I think they get five guys who hit 20. Uh, I think Shen could do it too. Shen had 16 last year. I didn't even say Shen's name. Yeah. Holy cow. I didn't realize Shen had 16. And that was a bad year for Shen too. Yeah. O'Reilly. I think, let's see. I think O'Reilly will do it. Perron will do it. I think Shen will do it. Sod. I just don't know if Buchnevich, because Buchnevich had 20 last year, right? Or close yeah, to. Yeah, no, he had 20 last year, exactly. Then, yeah, he'll get... Okay, then I guess, yeah, because if he had 20 last year, he'll hit it this year more than likely. I don't know if Kairu will get up there, so I think it'll be right at five. Then I'll, I'll so you bet think that. Shen over Kairu? I think Shen over Kairu. Man, you might have six guys with 20 goals. That's huge. You could. The potential's there. I don't, know the last, I don't know the last time that they had that many players with 20 goal seasons. Gosh. I mean, I'll have to look at that. Maybe that might be a segment for tomorrow, but I don't know the last time you've had more than three players with 20 goals in a season each. Something to take into consideration. A couple of more uh, from the 618. Better to forget it. Aaron Rodgers takes the Packers on a deep playoff run. Oh, it's football season, baby. You watching the Hall of Fame game tonight? Oh, Steelers for sure. and Cowboys? I don't even know who the Cowboys' fourth quarterback on the depth chart is, but he'll hey, probably be playing. Worry. You'll learn tonight. Get a little Mason Rudolph action. Yeah. A little Ducky Hodges. A little, uh, what's the quarterback's name? Dwayne Haskins. Oh, He's yeah. in Pittsburgh. The future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All I, right, better to forget it. Packers, deep playoff run. I'm going to say, what do we consider, like, to NFC I, Championship? I would imagine game? Super Bowl's a deep playoff because they made a deep oh, playoff wow, run last year. Well, I'm going to forget it. I would say Super. Doesn't mean they have to win it. They got to get to the Super Bowl. I'm going to forget it. I don't know if they get to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're – I still think Tampa Bay's got to be the favorite to come out of the NFC. And honestly, with Tom Brady, I'm not going to bet against him. I'm not crazy. You've so, learned your lesson, apparently. Yeah, You know, this happened a couple times. So I will say forget it because I don't know if they make that deep playoff run. Now, if we limit this to NFC Championship game, then, yeah, I would bet it. Super Bowl, no. I'm going to bet this. Here's why. One, I think Rodgers is going to be playing some pissed-off football this year. Wasn't he pissed off last year? Exactly, and look what happened. He was one. He won the MVP. He got a final push for Devontae Adams as well. 
But I also think that there is some relationship work going on between the GM and Aaron Rodgers. And I think that relationship work comes down to the trade deadline for football. Like, I I think they get to the trade deadline week and they go out and they bring themselves another big time receiver or they go out and get themselves a big time defensive upgrade. Like, keep an eye on Xavier and Howard from Miami. Like, I could see Green Bay trying to, like, work out the relationship with Rodgers and going out and acquiring a top cornerback and a top wide receiver to make the push. I think they get to a Super Bowl. I don't know if they could win it. But I'm going to bet this one. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a part of that this year. I mean, I could see it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say there's no shot because with Aaron Rodgers, you always have a shot. I just, I feel like this is going to be one of those of, all right, not like last year where it was pissed off football. It might be more of pouty football in the moments one thing starts to go wrong. We start to see this downturn from Aaron Rodgers and his Packers team. Here's a good one. We'll wrap up with this. 3-1-4, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals win a playoff game. Before the Detroit Lions win a regular season game. Regular season's what? Well, let's see. They're End of gonna... August? Last Sunday in August? For baseball? For September. football. No, for football. The Lions. First, like, regular season oh, starts end game, of August. First game's September. Is it? Because uh, it's when I'm going to Vegas is week one, so September 9th-ish, so... That's so like got a whole four weeks. You of, got four weeks to win a playoff or win a game for the Detroit Lions. I mean, that team's got Jared and, Goff at quarterback. So, and that team also has uh, a head coach who's biting kneecaps once Tigers on the sideline, once or actually drinks forty ounces of coffee with four shots of espresso. Let's see who. Let's see who the Lions have here. The first four weeks, they have got. They're hosting the 49ers, hosting the Packers. Or at Packers, hosting the Ravens and at the Bears. Yeah, I'm betting this, though, because, look, Detroit, I think Detroit will win a game, but I don't think the Cardinals are going to get to a playoff. I know. Shocking. Whoa. Shocking. So I don't think the Lions are going to go 0-17 this year. Um, 0-18. I I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) It's always possible, I guess, with Jared Goff. I'm forgetting this. No. Yeah, no, I'm forgetting this. Cardinals, I don't think they'll win one. I'm forgetting it, but not because I'm going to still keep up hope that they can get into the playoffs. I just think that the that's four games basically we're talking about. And I, I think the Bears could win that October 3rd game or the Lions, excuse me, could win that October 3rd game in Chicago. They're, right now they're going with the Red Rifle at quarterback. He's probably the not. Red Rocket. Oh, sorry. He's probably not going to be quarterback by week four. Justin Fields will be there. Yeah, I'll take the Detroit Lions in that one. So I'll say forget it. Wow. T-Bone hates the Cardinals there, unfortunately. Well, no. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We will take a break and come back, cross things over with the fast lane next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to apologize to a 618 i made him very upset with me again yeah hey idiot ducky hodges isn't on the pittsburgh steelers anymore yeah idiot did you say he was i don't even know i didn't even know if ducky hodges is a real player i I legitimately just made that up you had a donkey (laughs) apparently he's on the rams so well even better than that uh 
No, no. We know T-Bone's a real Ducky Hodges fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. T-Bone, that's your guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Number Absolutely. one quarterback starting I right mean, there. If Goff was still on the roster, he probably would have lost his job to that guy. <laughs> And rightfully so. Exactly. Rightfully so. Jamie Rivers in with us for the crossover, getting set for the fast lane today from 2 to 6 o'clock. Rivs, we just had a better to forget it. Five Blues players have 20 or more goals for the upcoming season. Five? Yeah. Oh, I would bet that. I yeah, did too. Absolutely. You know the last time that that happened? I have no idea, Third, Alex. I thought you were. I thought you just memorized no, that stuff. A, like, a, like the Rain Man. No, no, that's not me. 13-14. No. That was the last time they had that. Really? Bacchus, Steen, Tarasenko, Oshie, and Schwartz. Huh. That well, seems like a while ago. Crazy enough, I think that if the lineup uh, performs the way they can and they can stay healthy this season, they could have like six or seven of them. Gasp, T-Bone, you thought they couldn't have three. Embarrassing. Oh, wait. Hold okay, on. Wait. I bet it, by the way, <laughs> before he starts throwing out accusations. <laughs> I said, who's bet not going to get it? You don't believe? I don't, you don't no, believe in Ryan O'Reilly? No, no, I, I said O'Reilly will get believe, it. Jamie. I said Perron will get it. I said Bujnevich. I said Saad. And I said, uh, who's the other? Shen. I said Shen will get it. You don't think Kyra's going to get 20? That's what I said. Eh, maybe Tanner, not. let me I, help I mean, you. I should because no, you know you know what I said earlier? I said that Kyra's going to be better than Vladdy. And you know what I got? I got to stick to my guns. Yeah, okay. Well, let me help you out here, okay? Because yeah? I feel like you're drowning. Let me be your life jacket. Oh, I'm totally drowning. Okay. Rivers is tossing this uh, out for you. Jordan Cairo scored 14 goals last year. Now yeah. I know that's yeah. not 20, okay? That's right. I know I get that. You, you're good. So, quick math. Okay, great. Write that down. Good job. <laughs> 14 is not Now, 20. moving forward, okay. though, he also didn't play 82 games. Write that down, too. Oh, okay? Yeah, yeah, and, um, Tanner, 14. do you know how many power play goals Jordan Cairo had One. last year? Zero. Oh, my gosh. So imagine, imagine right. Jordan Cairo with 14 goals, but then you add, oh, I don't know, five on the power play 19. and add another 30 games, Tanner. So 30 games, power play. All right, so I've still play. got him at 19 goals. <laughs> well, your math that's, sucks. That's math for you. Raves, that's just like what we get. So negative. So negative, just like BK. That's what happens when he's out is for so long. Is that what you do, is you assume that character when he's gone? Like, you don't even realize yeah. well, it? Hey, there, there's kind of role. There's kind of like a. There's a lot of role playing in here, Jamie. Yeah. If you don't know about that, is that what that is over yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of a. T Bone brings a, his wig in all the time. It's yeah. weird. By the way, I like your haircut, T Bone. Well, High you. and tight, T Bone. I like it. it's a, in theme with the Olympics. Built for speed. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to the right. pool later. See if I can beat the old guy next to me. And I had I had to lose some of the hair. Yikes. What the heck are you talking about, old guy? Yeah, that was. A, he looked Sorry. at you. Why did, did you look too. right at me? No, no, I didn't know. I was saying there's he a guy at the pool that I race all the time. Yeah, it seems like a weird. Yeah, my 80 year old friend. Does he? It's his grandpa. Do you guys do laps at the pool? Yeah, you don't go to the you don't go to the adult swim or whatever it's called. Well, I do, but I don't swim. <laughs> it's not a swimming place for that. <laughs> it's a different kind of adult swim. I like the tan. Uh, <laughs> so, Jamie, speaking of the forwards, real quick, and we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, we talked earlier with Lou Korak. I know your guy, our guy, Lou. covers the Blues for NHL.com. Is there a significant drop-off between top six and bottom six, or do you think they're kind of even? Because I heard you guys talking about the death by a thousand cuts mentality for this yeah. season. And I like, I think they're back to that. Yeah, look, I don't think there's a significant drop-off, but there is a drop-off, right? Because that's why you have a top six, because there's more potential to score goals, more mm-hmm. punch up in, with those guys. That makes sense, too. But, thank you. Write that down. Now, when you drop, though, if you look at your third line, Potentially, I, I'm not even putting 91 on the roster right now. Yeah. Let's just leave him where he is, okay? You got Robert Thomas. Now, I know he doesn't project 
necessarily yet to be a 20-goal scorer, but he's going to make somebody around him a 20-goal scorer. Agreed. And so I look at Robert Thomas as a guy who gets hopefully 60 points, somewhere in that range, 50, 60 points. Oscar Sundquist, that's a 20-goal scorer. Uh, I know he hasn't been there yet in his career, but he was getting close, and he's getting more opportunity, more time. Who knows where he'll slot in on one of those power play units. I like him to be close to it. Ivan Barbashev. Yep. Can't count this guy out. 14 goals, I think, is what his career high. Mm-hmm. That's and not that's far playing off. third and fourth line minutes. That's not playing it's top not far nine. Off. Now, where it gets a little difficult is, obviously, those guys won't get the same opportunity as the first two lines. Mm-hmm. But you also have to imagine the coverage is going to drop off a little bit, too. You're going to get the other teams either, you know, if you're Oscar Sundquist in that line, maybe you get the other team's top scores. Maybe they're not that great defensively. Maybe you use that as an advantage, like Craig Berube did during the cup run, to where the fourth line matched up extremely well against the other team's top forwards. I just think that there is a drop-off. I think that's just the nature of the beast. But it's not going to be so substantial that you're like, oh, man, we can't score unless the top six are doing it. No, I don't think that's going to be it at all. I do think that the mentality of death by a thousand cuts, I think it's back. Is it back to where it was during the cup run? We'll find out. And I think you're definitely spreading the wealth, too, in time on ice rather than what you did last year where it was 22 minutes for Ryan O'Reilly and Perron. Too much. You could get back to like 17-18 for Ryan O'Reilly, 16-17 for your second line, but you're also talking 14-15 minutes for your third line. You have to. Too much, too much last year. And Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, those guys were warriors. They did a great job. Braden Shen played some really tough minutes, too. Physical, hard minutes. You're right. Lower that down just a bit. The player's always going to want to play more, so you don't really ask him for his opinion. <laughs> you just do it as Craig Berube, and then you got Barbashev, Sunquist, Thomas. Heck, you drop to your fourth line. You still have guys that are dependable there, too. You're going to have some depth this year, and it's up for those guys, up to those guys to perform, though. Yep. What do you guys got coming up today on the fast line, Ribs? I'm assuming Stalter's going to find the, uh, the 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 positives out of last night for the Cardinals. That guy's straight positive. I, I Nothing heard it. but positive. No, I love Anthony. You know that. It's my guy. Uh, but we got Matt Holiday coming up. It's always a great day love when you it. got Matt Holiday coming up. I, I I have an absolute man crush on this guy. I've never met him in my life. I feel like we should have met by now. I feel like you two would be fun at a bar. Yeah, I think so. I think, or what would happen is I would be fun and he would babysit me. Yeah, that's either, true. Or, either way. Someone's I, getting into a fist fight, though, and that's a good time. Yeah, and I, you know what? Having Matt Holiday as backup, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I go walking in like I got balls the size of church bells at that point. <laughs> T-Bone, you know what he's talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Jamie Rivers. He's coming up. Up on the fast lane with Brad Thompson, Anthony Stalter, and Brad Barnes. For Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 for more BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, 
This offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.